Circle K is America's thirst stop. And yours. Stay cool this summer with ice-cold favorites like Froster, Polar Pop Cup, iced coffee, and more. When life's go, 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 make us your first stop. Circle K, America's thirst stop. Good morning and welcome to the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show. Jeff Loggeman here with Captain Kirk Waltz. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Chris running the show in the control room. Morning, Chris. Good morning. I'm a little confused. Come on, there you go. You're confused? Yeah, and, I'm confused. And uh, we have a uh, special guest host that has just arrived. Just eased in. And you know, it's always good to have a, a special guest host that brings breakfast. I agree. <laughs> the cooks. That's a rarity in it, our, it our is, world. It is, isn't, it? isn't and, it? And it's part of the confusion here because, okay, so I thought um, last time last time we talked, uh, Kirk was fired. We had uh, another host uh, that you picked up at a boat show. And then... She, Aaron uh, Johnson was outstanding. That's right. Oh. Yeah. And then I come in this morning... Kirk is here. Yeah. Kevin's gone. We fired Kevin for today. Yeah, and, Kevin's fired. And now we have another guest host. What the heck is going on? Well, we're trying to upgrade. Yeah. Oh. We certainly upgraded when Kirk was uh, missing for a week with, with Miss Erin Johnson. She was awesome. <laughs> and uh, and today we fired Favor so that he could go chase a turkey. And in his place, we have Dr. Quint White, the executive director of uh, Jacksonville University's Marine Science Research Institute, as promised, we talked to him a couple weeks ago. In fact, uh, when we had our little show at the boat show when Mr. Aaron Johnson was uh, was sitting in. And uh, we promised to have Dr. White back on to talk further about some of the issues. And and that's why I texted him and said, hey, you available this weekend? And he said, yeah. And he offered to bring breakfast. And was like, all right. Well, so, yeah. uh, so what are you doing the next uh, 40 Saturdays there, Dr. White? <laughs> Pinch Morning, hitter. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Do we got we got us we got him on? We have a we got all kinds of stuff this morning. And I had thought, well, I'll bring in a this is a venison sausage casserole that I'm oh, yeah. oh. I'll surprise you. Then you said, well, I'm gonna bring breakfast. I thought, well, I'm gonna bring this casserole. So you okay, so you got zucchini bread, so we, we oh yeah, so. we we have it. We have it going <laughs> on. And I can guarantee you there's one person that is extremely disappointed that he is not here right now. Oh, I guarantee it. Uh, and that's Chef Gordon. Oh yeah, because Gordon is is addicted to that zucchini bread right there, and he loves a good breakfast casserole with a little venison in it. Doesn't yeah, get any better than that. No, it really doesn't. And let me tell you what: there's plenty of zucchini bread that uh, Gordon could eat on right there. <laughs> oh my God, that's like four loaves in I, one. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big. That's a big pan, right? That's a quarter of a sheet pan. It is it's outstanding. A quarter. I told Dr. Yeah. White that mm. my wife makes the best zucchini bread on the planet. And Dr. White, I, w- I must say that uh, this little batch is total evidence that she makes the best that there is on the planet. So you will, 
I'm you'll looking be, forward to trying you'll it. You'll be very impressed. Anyway, uh, before we get started, uh, we've got a lot of things to get to today. Yep. And uh, fishing, hunting, all of that. Uh, we've got some thank yous to send out. We have uh, two topics that are obviously of big importance, which is Piney Point going on in Florida. And also with the barge that has been off of uh, Mayport. Yep, they've been offloading it. And we'll, we'll talk about that. And I, you know, we uh, we were following the captains for clean water recently, right? Which is on the their journey skiff little race that they had going around the state of Florida. Hopefully, they have gotten out of their chiropractic braces by the yeah by this Saturday. Well, and then there's. Uh, something that they put out an email and obviously this is something that is always very concerning and they sent out an email just recently and they said that uh, there's some blooms already present on Lake Okeechobee which it's, mm. it's still pretty early yeah and there's one in particular that is at uh, Pahokee Marina and it's a blue green algae bloom we'll talk about that with Dr. White but uh, before we get to all of that let's uh, let's start with a a tides and a weather. We'll start with a weather report brought to you by the Beard Pig and uh, two locations for your barbecue fix. One in San Marco downtown and the other new location is at Jacksonville Beach and it is the best barbecue in Jacksonville period. It's not even close, folks. Yeah. Uh, if you have never had a beef rib before, get there early and try beef rib before you get all your regular barbecue stuff in, in the beef rib you can share with, uh, with a lot of different people. And here it is for today. Northeast winds 15 to 20 knots, diminishing to around 15 knots late in the afternoon, seas 3 to 4 feet. And tomorrow, southeast winds 10 knots, seas 3 to 4 feet with uh, 7 second intervals, a uh, light chop on the intercoastal, slight chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon tomorrow. Uh, they're not saying anything about a chance of rain for today, so that's good. Monday, South winds, 10 to 15 knots, seas 3 to 4 feet. And a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms Tuesday, south winds, 10 to 15. Wednesday, south winds, 10 to 15, 2 to 3 feet. That's your weather report brought to you each and every week by the Bearded Pig. And a tides report brought to you by Angie, Angie Soaps. Yeah. Best sub shop in uh, in Jacksonville, right my, there on Pimmon. My in-laws had their first ever experience with Angie Subs. And what did they think? Big fans. Yeah. Big fans. And what do they get? French fries? Peruvians. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you got it. where they got that idea from. Wonder where. <laughs> uh, tides for today at Mayport, uh, 6.48 a.m. was your low tide. That's a negative 0.1. Then at 1.05 p.m., it's going to be a 4.4 high tide. 6.47 p.m. will be the other low tide this evening. And, again, that's your tide support brought to you each and every week. By Angie Subs, the best sub shop in Jacksonville, right there at the corner of Beach and Pemmon. And don't forget about the Grom at the beach. Yeah. You want to get your grub on for breakfast, good spot to hit. All right. Uh, fish this week, Kirk? Yeah, I did. Quite a few days. Um, it's been a beautiful week. The The weather forecast, fortunately, has been a little bit variable and off slightly, which yeah. has been good. Yeah, because um, uh, earlier in the week they were calling for a little bit rougher conditions than it turned out to be, and a lot of people didn't think it was going to be fishable. It turned out to be very fishable on, off off the beach. I mean, I got up at, at quarter to five this morning and walked outside with a cup of coffee, and there was no wind. None. I mean, none at all. It was beautiful. And it was just flat gorgeous. Thank you, sir. And uh, it just uh, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good day. Whether it's going to blow like they said it's going to blow, I don't know. Um, it won't hurt it. 
No. That's for sure. No. The, what What's the story? Because uh, last weekend, Kevin talked about the, the little bit of a problem on his boat that he had where their guys were trying to cast to the Cobia oh, yeah. on a race. And uh, this week, certainly, I saw plenty of boats going up and down the coast that were doing the hunt for the Cobia thing. It happened all week long. I mean, every day everybody was out. You know, they they caught a handful. I, I saw a few rays. It wasn't lit up. The biggest issue with Mayport continues to be that the, the dredging is impacting the, the clarity of the water. There's no doubt. I mean, it's just up and down from Blunt Island all the way to the Navy base entrance right there to the carrier base. And they're got those drag lines in there. And the tide starts going out. It's like chocolate milkshake coming out of there and now the the i would have to first of all when you're when they're doing the dredging like that and uh and dr white gonna bring you in on this when they're doing dredging like that now all of a sudden you have tide and wind direction is going to affect the water clarity clarity that's along our coast yeah, it and, doesn't hold on i mean anyway and uh, first of all what are they doing and uh <laughs> how long is it going to last well, they're basically deepening the river to um, 47 feet. It's currently 42 feet um, in order to bring in these larger container ships. Okay. And um, it's a long-term process in the sense that, um, and I honestly don't know exactly how long this will take to dredge because it's, it's a long, long process. And once they get it done, they'll still have to go back in periodically and redredge the maintenance dredge. Maintenance. Because the river's constantly trying to silt in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, it, that's a like it's like a never-ending battle. It oh, seems yeah. seems like uh, it, we're going on 2 years, I believe, if if I'm if I'm correct, that with, they've with been the doing dredges. this. Yeah. And they've been going up and down and up and down and I guess to me having an analytical mind, I think that Sometimes with the depth in the way we have our beaches, that that silt gets pulled in constantly. And when it gets deeper, whatever shallow areas we have, like, for instance, up near Mill Cove, or you go past that and you go down downtown, that silt fills back in what they're digging out. And it's a constant process. Um, I know that the carrier basin, obviously, we want that to be as deep as it needs to be, so those warships can get in and out of there. I mean, those guys are keeping us safe, so I'm all for that, but it just seems that it has affected the water quality, and it seems to have affected the fishing a little bit somewhat. The The sheephead fishing has been off, to say the least, Yeah, in the last what, what, two, what three is, weeks. What does water clarity do, Dr. White, with, with fish? I mean, uh, because, I mean, well, are, does, does it hurt them? Oh, of course it does. Yeah. Um, think about trying to breathe in a, in a dusty, dirty room. I mean, it's, they're living in an area that they're, they're breathing water is what they're doing. They're pumping water. And if you put fish into an aquarium where you can watch them and you make it really um, cloudy in there and increase the turbidity, it's interesting because you, you can literally watch the fish cough. Really? The fish will, will forcibly work the, the water to go the opposite way to try to flush their lungs out. To, which basically they're flushing gills. Yeah, yeah, they're flushing their gills. Yeah, that's that's so they're they're sort of fun. That that's actually you can see that happen. Oh yeah, you can watch you can watch fish do it all the time. Huh. Um, but we got to understand and, and Kirk's exactly right. Um, 
when you start looking at the way the, our estuary works, we talk about being a biological um, pump in that it pushes biological material out to sea because the productivity that occurs in the estuary, in the river, flows offshore. However, it serves as what we call a geologic sink because the sediment, and your observation is exactly right, the sediment comes in, and what happens is the faster the water flows, the larger the sediment size that it can transport. Sort of begins, it makes sense. Yeah, makes sense, you yeah. Know? And so if you take a, you know, the old snow globe effect, if you shake a snow globe up, everything gets in suspension, and then what falls out first, the smallest or the biggest stuff falls out first, and then the smaller stuff and smaller, smaller and smaller stuff. At the end, you're left with a very tiny material. That's when you get that cloudy, right, milky-looking water. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, um, that material begins to settle in. And so when you look at the sediments on the water, uh, on the bottom, you find it coarser, and they get finer and finer and finer and finer and finer. Um, you say the same exact thing at the beach, by the way. If you think about when you walk across the dunes and go down into the surf, you cross that sort of very fine sugar sand up by the dunes. By the time you get down to the water's edge, particularly at low tide, you're on very coarse sand with lots of shell and gravel and stuff in it. Yeah, like coquina kind yeah, of all that right. stuff. Why? Because the water energy, when that wave breaks, it's got a lot of energy. As it rushes up the shoreline, it slows down, the sediment in it drops out, and it sorts the sand along the beach. Um, it does it both east and west as well as north and south it's sort of it's a it's a pretty cool phenomenon yeah it's interesting i mean that's that's an and, and when they do this dredging how are they doing it or is it literally like a mechanical bucket that is going down and scooping a a big load of dirt and then loading it onto the barge is it a uh uh pipe that sucks the dirt with a mixture of water, kind of a slurry, mm-hmm. and then filters it through a barge. I mean, because I've seen kind of two different dredging operations. One is the mechanical, and then the other one is that big, essentially, suction hose. Right. Yeah, basically, they use a, a bucket dredge that uh, scoops down and picks up the sediment. Um, and you do that when you're trying to uh, take out large quantities of what you know is fairly consistent material. Um, you also have what you're talking about, hydraulic dredging, in which you use a big, basically, vacuum suck- suction. And oftentimes, that the head of that suction device also has a cutter mechanism on it. Yeah, like, like, an, a, like, so like, like an auger. Head. Like an auger, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it will sweep back and forth. And what you're talking about in terms of you watch the ships go up and down the, the dredge, go up and down the river. Well, what they're doing is they, you can't just go in and dig it from 42 to 50 to 47 feet mm-hmm. in one place. What you've got to do is systematically go across it, take a, do- take a level off, take a level off, take a level off. Because otherwise, if you dig it, it just flows back in. It's all like a milkshake. Right. Huh. What I've noticed, too, on my bottom recorder, and I spent a lot of time in that river. I mean, I'm out there every day. And I have noticed that you've gone from the vacuum using the auger vacuum system that unit that I noticed for a long time, I don't see it now. That ship is gone. Now they've brought in what I call the drag lines, which is a big crane exactly. with a giant bucket that looks like it's about the size of a pickup truck. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. And they're scooping up harder 
material. So it tells me that they've already gotten down as far as they can with what he's talking about, the silt and stuff and the soft materials. Now they're actually going into the lime rock to dig out that lime rock because that's what that bottom's going to be like yeah. to well, get a lot of know, times it, deeper. They may have gone in and, and busted up some of that stuff too. I'm not exactly sure of how they're. Yeah, I know they use demolition for a fact. Yeah. I saw that. Um, but there, there is some limestone down there, and they're going to have to blow that out. Um, typically, the, the bucket dredges um, aren't very effective at moving solid rock. You've got to go in and put a cutter head on it or blast it to make it smaller before you can pick it up right. uh, with a bucket dredge. All right, well, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk more about this, uh, folks. Uh, Jeff Logman here. Captain Kirk Waltz, uh, Dr. Quentin White, Executive Director of Jacksonville University's Marine Science Research Institute. Uh, if you've got questions, you've got comments, 904-641-1010 right here on the Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show. Welcome back to the Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show. I, I was wondering how much Merle you wanted to hear this morning. I love Merle. Boy, a little bit you of steel guitar. Every, you can oh, play it every break, as far as I'm concerned. I actually I was just looking at a video. Uh, David Barron, Tire Outlet, right? just sent me a video, and it's one of those uh, excavators doing the dredging. Mm. He said, this is right behind my house. So uh, thank you for sending the, the video, David. And by the way, that was awesome fun. time up at Tire Out last weekend. Oh, it was great. And the way they had everything set up, it was just a perfect, perfect setup for us to do a remote like that. Got to have a couple different thank yous. First of all, the new tires that I got on the truck. The, t- the truck looks like a brand new truck. It does. It looks like those tires should have been on there from the beginning. But most importantly, I didn't really get to truly experience how cool it was until I got to drive it. Yeah, you go home on that interstate, that changed things. Well, when I, when I, when I got this truck, and this is, this is no joke, okay? When I got the truck, uh, whatever tires came with it. Stock <clears> tires, yeah. And, and I, I'd have to back the PSI on these tires down to like 50-ish mm-hmm. in order for it to be semi-comfortable because, you know, because it's a three-quarter ton truck, right. the PSI rating is like an E or an F rated tire, and, and you know, I'm not the, the tire expert by any means, but you run – Typically about 70 plus PSI for a three-quarter ton truck on a knee or an F-rated tire. Right. Okay. And it was like rattle your teeth, you know, when you hit a bump. Yeah. And uh, it's not very comfortable. You know, but it is it, what it is. And so I kept waiting. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get my mileage out of these tires, you know. So Burn them. Yeah. I wanted to get 65,000 miles out of the tires, you know. So anyway, you get the new tires last week. And, and uh, I left – Tire outlet, had to run across the street to so a very short drive, and I was like, man, that was pretty nice. And I was like, well, maybe it's just the short drives because it was re- the truck was really smooth. Yeah. And Danny and David told me that it's going to change the drive of the truck. Yeah. It literally, it feels like mm-hmm. I'm driving on 25 PSI tires right now. Mm-hmm. And these tires are uh, have uh, 70 pounds of pressure, 70, 75 pounds of pressure in it. And I'm going, how does that happen? How does it you go from... 50 to 70, 75, and it, incre- it improves the ride. They told me that it would. And so, anyway, uh, thank you to Tire Outlet. My truck drives like a brand new truck now. It looks good. 
It drives good, and I am thrilled. I want to say a special thank you to I know where this is going. To, to Danny's mom. Because <laughs> Danny came up at the very end and gave Jeff and Kevin and I a, a care package to leave. You know, T-shirts and a barbecue lunch to go. Because we didn't get a chance to eat. And we had commented a couple times. We were sorry that they weren't going to open up the food till 11. Well, the, the, and we, the, were had, we had to leave. They had, they, they had a, a free section of the grill. They were going to do burgers, brats, and dogs. Right. And then they also had the barbecue a, a truck. barbecue truck where they were going to sell out of the food truck. Right. Well, Danny's mom would did the cooking for the food truck. She <laughs> sells barbecue. That's one of the things that she does. Right. So go ahead. So I I, I told Jeff I said I got to roll. I grabbed my to go package, threw it in the truck, and I got halfway down the road and I was like, "Darn, that smells really good." And I was starving, <laughs> so I ripped it open in the truck and I looked in there and I saw those pork ribs and I was like. Well, that don't look bad. And I grabbed a napkin and grabbed one and took a bite out of it. And I was like, holy smoke, that was really good. Really good. I mean, Quentin, it, I, I, it was really good. We're all foodies here. You know, f- food is one of the great joys of life. I'm with you. And uh, and we're, we're big fans of barbecue. Oh. I mean, big fans. Huge. And cooking and the whole nine yards. I'm with you. And I, I am a total rib snob. Brother Love made me a rib snob. Oh, yeah. Because Brother Love used to do some of the best ribs ever. Gordon does some of the best ribs that I've ever had. The Bearded Pig does ribs oh, that are amazing. Off the chain. So so I, I I take mine home. Okay, you got your package, you took yours and broke it out on the way home. Mine I took back, put, put it in the fridge because I had met uh, Tara and Taylor, my wife and daughter, for lunch right. after the show. So... Next day for lunch, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to break these out, out, break out the ribs and threw it in the microwave, warmed two of them up. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, oh, like, oh my God. I texted Danny immediately. And I was like, um, what's the story on these ribs? I know. <laughs> he hit me before I left. I said, how does she do these? Just out of curiosity. And he told me something like she she boils them or something. That's the way Brother Love had done his ribs. Boils them for I don't know how long. I, I don't. And then smokes them, and I was like, okay. And I heard that, and I was like, and I and I've heard that a long time ago, when I was living in Cocoa Beach, going to college down there. Mm-hmm. One of the chefs I worked with, that's what he did. He'd pe- he'd peel the white skin off the back of the rib rack, and then he'd stick that whole rack in there and boil them. Yep. And I'm going, you're going to boil all the flavor out, and he goes, nope. Mm-mm. You'll see. That's the way Brother Love did them. And I used to sit there and go, how can you make a rib taste good like that? And I, I don't do them that way. I, I was amazed. I slow smoke them. But uh, Brother Love used to do them that way, and it was one of the best ribs I've ever had. And that rib that I had from, from Danny's mom is one of the best ribs I've ever had. So, I'm, a, I'm up there with you. I, on a scale from Ms. 1 to Ms. 10. Miss Danny's mom, thank you very much. Yeah. Your ribs are amazing. <laughs> if your food truck just shows up somewhere and we could get some locations, we might end up being yeah. customers. Yeah, there's no doubt. Darn, it was good. Yeah, it was it was really good. But we big thank you to all those guys up there, and I know the tire deals were were exceptional and, and tire lot. Those guys, uh, David, you got great staff of folks up there were awesome. Yeah. It was great to be up there, and I uh, had a really good time. And I am thrilled with my truck. My Nimnik three quarter ton diesel is like money. Yeah, <laughs> and they sold some tires that morning. Yeah, they did. It was pretty. Yeah, they did. It was pretty funny. We looked over there, and all those bays were full. 
by what, 8.30? That's exactly right. 8.45, I was like, oh my gosh. All right, well, let's go to the phone line here. We're going to bring up Gary before uh, before we take a break here and get back to more conversation with Dr. White about the dredge and everything. Good morning, Gary. Gary, hello. I don't quite understand what the Jags are doing in the draft after the first round, but I guess we'll leave that for another day. Yeah, that's uh, call on Monday, Gary. Hey, uh, guys, uh, my question is in regards to fishing. Uh, the infrastructure plan is being banded about. What would you like to see? I know the dredging is being done now. You guys already touched on that. What would you like to see done in the waterways, waterways around here? that would improve the fishing, be both, you know, ecologically sound and good for the fish that would, uh, you know, just make, enhance the, the uh, experience for everybody. And uh, I'll take the answer off the air and see ya. See you, Gary. See Thank you, Gary. Gary. Good question. Uh, what, what, what can be done to enhance the fishing in our area? Great question and great lead-in to one of the things I had told Jeff I wanted to talk about today. Um, we've just finished doing a study on the two artificial reefs that were off of San Marco there in the St. John's River. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that it was heavily impacted by Irma, as was the entire river, yep. um, you know, we're still seeing the effect of that, which is, blows my mind a little bit. But that's the way the St. John's River is anyway. Um, but we're now, the city of Jacksonville, and particularly the Jacksonville Waterways Commission, which is in a, basically a citizen's advisory group to the city council, is looking at putting in more artificial reefs in the river. Now, the reefs themselves are good because, one, they provide habitat, um, provide places for the things to grow so that fish can feed on them, but it also provides nooks and crannies for young fish to hide so that they can grow and, and become larger. Um, one of the things we concluded from looking at the reefs that were in San Marco was they may be just a little bit too far inland, and they get impacted too much right now with the fairly significant salinity changes we're seeing in the river. Depending on what the rainfall is and where it is and the tide and the wind, you can see some pretty significant salinity changes. Mm -hmm. So our recommendation has been to let's see if we can't find some places closer to the mouth. So we're going to be actually looking in Mill Cove, among other places, but we would love to have input from people who are fishing in the river as to where they think a good spot to put a reef might be. Now, it needs to be in relatively deep water, something probably under, so the, the top of the reef is no more than about 15 feet from the surface because you don't want to make a navigation hazard. And you need a bottom that is fairly firm because if it's too silty, like we were talking earlier, then berries. you put the material in and it just sinks to the bottom. Yeah. Um, sinks, um, gets covered up. And we actually saw some of that on the reefs in San Marco post-Irma. There was some sediment, and it seems to have cleared up a little bit since then. But yeah, um, that's what's going on. So. Yeah, we would love to hear more about that. We think that the, the reefs themselves, one, promote fishing, but also improve water quality because most of the animals that end up growing there are filter feeders. They're going to take out material from the water. Um, sometime, and even the, the silt you're talking about, some of these animals actually have the ability to package that silt up and exclude it. And when they do that, they actually package it in a little bit coarser material that doesn't move as fast. So it's an interesting phenomenon that's going on out there. All right, well, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, because I, I love this, uh, the, the concept of creating more artificial reefs, and I, I'm not talking just about inshore. I'm talking about offshore. 
Yeah, I was thinking and, in, in that uh, general direction too. And, and I was, think that, that that can really create some great opportunities for for fishermen in our area to make this uh, just actually a destination for fishermen. So let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll talk more with Dr. Quentin White, Executive Director of Jacksonville University's Marine Science Research Institute, right here on the Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show. All right, so uh, we got to welcome a new sponsor here on the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show, and it's Shark Coatings. I got the Shark Coatings on my garage floor, and it's not the uh, the two part epoxy paint on the garage floor concrete. Right, it's right. A, it's like a polyurea, and uh, they come in and one day put this uh, this coating on this concrete, and it's it's tough as nails. So like when your hot tires pull into your garage, now it doesn't the epoxy doesn't peel up. It's a polyurea. It's 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 awesome. I mean, it literally, it's like adding a whole other room to your house because once you get it done, right. you're like, man, I don't want to pile up a bunch of junk in this nice-looking garage, man. Yeah, I need a bench nice. over here and a little yeah. desk over here. <laughs> can we, can we take all that stuff that we pulled out of here to storage somewhere so yeah, that man this cave. garage stays nice? I need a man It's cave. awesome. So check it out, folks. Uh, shark coatings that are on social media. They've got a website. You can Google it. Awesome awesome flooring for your garage and your man cave will be like uh the best money it's ever been all right so i got a a great text dr white and uh and quentin the text comes from uh from our buddy ed and and i'm gonna read it to you because i think this is a pretty cool one he says how about a plan to get all these shucked oysters from restaurants back in the ecosystem because they do make great reefs and uh right now we're just taking these oysters and putting them in landfills, does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Lots. And I agree with him. Um, the biggest problem, again, with oysters locally is finding a place to put them. Um, because you just can't go spread oysters everywhere. Okay. Um, and so we, we have some problems with water quality in the St. John's. And so there's been some work done, and the state's doing some studies now to see whether or not we could reestablish some oyster beds for harvesting. But, yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. And we've, we've looked at it a little bit. Again, it's a matter of I just like this. It's funding. Um, yeah, you need a grant or something to get that going. Yeah, you you need. We need some leadership in the city. We need somebody to take charge of this kind of thing, and uh, and also to help pay for it. I've often and that, thought and that's along the same lines of what we were just talking about before we took a break because the inshore reefs funding is needed for that. And <clears throat> one of the things that uh, always amazes me is like if you go offshore St. Augustine. Some of the, the man-made reefs are pretty plentiful. When you go out of Jacksonville, it doesn't seem to have that many of man-made reefs. Is that another funding issue thing? Well, there's, there's a lot of reefs offshore Jacksonville. And frankly, thanks to the Offshore Club and a long, long history, um, going back well over 50 years of building artificial reefs. Now, when we first, and I'll say use the we because I was – heavily involved with when I first got to Jacksonville, um, we used to not be as smart as we are today, and we used things like wash machines and automobiles. And, and oh, yeah. And they disappeared. Um, they eroded and rusted away very, very quickly. We've, we've learned over years that concrete makes the best reef material. Mm -hmm. um, some people, who if they've listened to the show for a long time and, and know what's happening in artificial reefs, we used to use tires. We had this great idea, oh, tires would be great. Bundle them up. Yep. Tires, tires were horrible. Yeah. Um, one, they nothing grew on them. 
Uh, you got the, you sort of got a growth, but you didn't get the kind of growth you get on concrete or even steel. Yeah. You ship a, you sink a ship, and that's a great reef um, because what happens is the steel is heavy enough that the growth gets big enough and heavy enough that it becomes the system. And so when the, when the steel rushed away, which eventually will, uh, you've got something left. Yeah, the coral continues to grow. Yeah, As a diver, I've seen that over the years. There's some beautiful dive sites. I mean, you go offshore Jacksonville in the right kind of water conditions when it's been calm and the wind has lied down and it's clear, you can see 100 feet. It's phenomenal. It's epic. Yeah, I, I've told people for years, I used to dive out here for 15 years, this is some of the prettiest diving you'll do anywhere in the state of Florida, yeah. right here. But and you've also got to be careful because it, it's all, it can be dangerous because the water can, the currents can be tricky and yeah. the turbidity can be tricky. So yeah, the Viz, because of the St. John's outflow, it's a, it's a mushroom cloud effect as it comes out and it comes out and it spins. And it depending on wind and tides and moon, it can get out there 9, 10. I've seen it out 15 miles. And you can go from, like he said, you know, 50 to 100 foot of visibility to 10 feet. And you're in 70 feet of water. That's you're going down and down, and then all of a sudden you hit your head on the bottom. That's how yeah. bad it is. So, could you take? <clears throat> I think one of the one of the attractive things, just for from a from a fisherman standpoint, is being able to go and fish, whether it be a wreck or whether it be uh, an artificial reef, is something that's reachable fairly close. And and I think the. The fishermen love to have these artificial reefs that are put out that are within, you know, in 50, 60, 65 feet of water. Not even that far. And maybe not even that far because now it's, it's, it's reachable. It's, it's fairly close. And, and, and so, so funding is the, is the big issue with that and trying to accomplish that. Exactly. Um, and what you, we have actually what I'll call three different kinds of reef systems, um, what we call the offshore reef, which are the ones that are offshore in deeper water. And typically you've got to make sure you've got something like 60 feet of clearance because you don't want a ship to hit it. Right. And you, you don't put them in the shipping channels and you watch. Now, wait a minute. Say, how much feet of clearance? 60. I mean, there are there ships that draw 60 feet of water? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the, wow. bigger, some of the bigger ships today. And that's why they're, going, that's why they're increasing the, the depth to 47 feet in the river. I mean, they don't come into Jacksonville, but there are some big ships out there. Okay. God, that's, um, that's amazing, 60 feet. Yeah, but you've also got to accommodate your, you're dealing with tides, you're dealing with winds, you're dealing with things bouncing up and down. So you're trying to give yourself a margin of error. Um, all the permits, or all the reefs have to be permitted through the Army Corps of Engineers. Then, so those are the offshore reefs. Then we have what we call nearshore reefs. And those are the reefs that are typically within about three miles of shore. And the idea is to try to find a place that a small boat can get out to. Problem there is we have shrimpers, and so you want to res- you want to respect their historical right to shrimp in those areas, and if you put a reef down, that interferes with their ability to drag a shrimp net through there. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of negotiations with the shrimping community to see where we could put reefs. So there's been some resistance there, and then we have what we call the inshore reefs, which is the reefs like in San Marco, mm-hmm. and those are within the same the river system. And the two reefs in San Marco were the two first two reefs in the state that were built like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's all about trying to find the correct kind of leadership in the government as well as the funding to help support it. Because we're talking, 
there's some communities that literally spend a million dollars a year on building artificial reefs, and they see the money coming back to them because of the income from the sport fishing industry. Hmm. Say that again. A million dollars. They'll spend a million dollars because they see the results coming back as an economic impact. And in other words, if you build inshore reefs, the economic impact makes it worthwhile. Exactly. Plus, the benefits you get from the fishing community and the water quality, you know, there, there are other things that add into it, too. Uh, well, you know, we, have a, we have a very healthy fishing community here in Jacksonville, but we pale in comparison to what happens in South Florida. In a big way. Yeah. In a and big yet, way. People who fish understand where the fish are and, and how great our fishing is. Um, so it's a well-kept secret in some ways. I would agree. And it's, and it's ironic, too. You know, having grown up in South Carolina, and, and I do spend some time up there, they have invested, South Carolina Department of Natural Resources have invested in nearshore reefs. A typical one is right off the Stono River between Folly Island and Kiowa Island. And it's only, I think, four miles off the beach, five miles off the beach, and it's in fairly shallow water. And what they finally did is they, I guess they regulated and had discussions with the local shrimp boat population, shipping to make sure it wasn't affecting any shipping. And they designated a strip, an area. And I think, I want to, I want, I want to say it's like, you know, three or 400 yards long. And I don't know how wide it is, but they dumped all this debris in a line. And it's called the Kiowa Reef. And I don't know why we couldn't do that. They've done the reef balls in mm -hmm. St. Augustine that, by the way, were instituted by Mandarin High School, as I right. understand. And they're concrete igloos. And they've been incredibly successful. Um, and there are other areas, I think, on the south end of the beach, in the middle of our barrier island, that could be effectively done the same way mm -hmm. that wouldn't affect the shrimping you know these guys are smart i know shrimpers and they're smart enough they know their snags out there and they mark them yeah they'll know where they are and why wouldn't we put them near those snags yeah just drop them near the snags well this you know? okay this is where you get tricky because you don't want them near the snags <laughs> the snags represent natural live bottom right and so you don't want to put it on a reef on top of a natural live bottom you've got a natural system there so but you couldn't wanna, you put it next to it though well you want to put it up away from it far enough that it's not going to impact it right that, it, but that if anything it might help draw some of the fish and the organisms to grow there exactly yeah because offshore here we we've got all the artificial reefs, but we all have a fair amount of, of natural bottom because what happens is the limestone that is underneath florida comes down as outcroppings as you get further offshore so as you think about the the slope going down and this rock coming out making these little ledges. Little ledges, yep. And so you've got Harm's Ledge and Rabbit's Lair. There, there are a few of them out there that are natural reefs. And so you want to be careful that you don't put anything too close to them because then you impact the reefs themselves. So it's, there's a, it takes a, a lot of science and a lot of work to make sure you're putting it right. I suspect but doable. The South Carolina, yeah, very doable. But doable. And the South Carolina has done it, and it's, it's, it works well. Uh, North Carolina has done it. Other places have done it. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk more artificial reefs. We're going to talk Piney Point. We're going to talk the barge off of Mayport. Uh, loving it. Uh, Dr. Quentin White, uh, he is uh, a guest host today. Kevin Favor has been fired for the day. Yep. If you have yeah. questions, call us. <laughs> You're <laughs> <not> fired. <laughs> 904-641-1010. We had a guy that was holding on there, and uh, he had a question. I'm sorry that we didn't get to him, but we were going to get to him right after this break. And if you have a question for Dr. White, 904-641-1010 right here on the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show. 
is this, Chris? Kirk, who is it? Steely Dan? Yeah, no, 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 no. This is, uh, oh, golly, I, I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. This is Atlanta Rhythm Section. Yep. yep. But, yeah, the Steely Dan thing, you, you always ask that. I always say that. Every time. Everything I And yeah, you know it's not. Lot I like. know. I you know, know it's not. Yeah, the, cra- the crazy We've, thing, Chris, did did you see the the picture on our Facebook page with uh, us in the uh, in the old Dodge van? <laughs> and speaking of pictures, Tara took that picture and I looked at it and I went, "She's got three visual shots of their signage from the van uh-huh. to the to the garage in the very back to the garage to the right to the front of the building." I'm like, "That was impressive." <laughs> what was cool though. Was the van itself, and what what is the make? It's a it was a Dodge. It was a, a Dodge. What is it called? No, but Econo it's got a line. It's got a name. Caravan. Um, and and David, if you're listening, you got to tell me. David's the owner of, of Tire Outlet. David, you got to text me. It's a Dodge something or other, and uh, I can't remember. Sportsman, Sportsman. I think it's a Dodge Sportsman van, and it is a total hippie van. That has been completely redone, and I was joking around with Kirk, and I was going, "Man, if you were driving this back in your teens and early twenties, yep. guarantee you there's been some funny stuff coming out of that thing." Oh uh, yeah, Surfboard some funny racks. smelling stuff. Surfboard racks on the top. Come on, man. If the van, uh, anyway, if the van be rocking, don't come knocking. <laughs> yeah, the van be rocking, you don't come a knocking. And they had, uh, they also have in his uh, showroom there. An old, because I love classic cars. I don't want to drive one, and I don't want to own one, but I just love looking at them. I want to drive something that new that I just, you know, I don't have to do anything to. But he's got one of those old Toyota Land Cruisers with a, with a diesel motor in it. They're cool. Which is not something that I don't think was very common in the States. I think he got it from Costa Rica. But that diesel motor wasn't something that they actually made for America. But, I mean, how cool is that? I mean, yeah. a, a diesel Toyota Land Cruiser, and the thing is mint. Anyway. Uh, got a little uh, off beat path there. So we were talking artificial reefs, and we're talking about, uh, and you, you just did a great job of describing the three different reefs that there are. There's the offshore, you got the nearshore, and then you have the inshore reefs. Uh, what does it cost? So let's say that Dr. White, the outdoor show, wanted to sponsor a reef. And so what would it take? And we wanted to gather up a bunch of people in the fishing community to all bandy together and help build some reefs. What, what, what does it cost? Well, it varies tremendously depending on what you're putting out and what you're using. Um, if you've got, for instance, a ship, then you've got the cleaning cost, you've got you know, the decommissioning cost, you've got the inspections and things like that. Then you've got to find the tug to pull it out. So you're maybe talking $100,000, $250,000. If you're building a reef from scratch, um, then you're probably looking at again, two hundred fifty, even five hundred thousand um, dollars. And so, you know, a lot of us would like to see the city institute a budget line item that would be somewhere in that five hundred thousand dollar range, so that you could sort of plan every year to every put year out to two, do something. Every year to put two or three reefs out. That way, you could get your permits, and the permits are good for I think twenty years now. Um, maybe Ted. They keep, they keep changing it on me. Um, and so you get the permits, and then you can begin building the reef, and you don't have to do it all at once. You can add to it mm-hmm. over time. The reefs in the river 
um, are just 200 by 200 feet, so they're fairly distinct small reefs. And they were built with nine piles of material in that 200 square feet to try to give you some diversity of surface material. And I don't know exactly what we end up spending on that. That was a combination of federal, state, uh, and private money. Well, here, here's, here's something that, that I pondered this week. Ran down the Jacksonville Beach Pier looking for pogies, you know, doing my thing. And I pulled up on the pier, and we were shooting the breeze with the guys working on the pier. And we started casting around it because there had been, there had been some fish around it in, in the old pier rubble that was taken out by Irma and Michael. And I didn't realize it, but the steel pier that, that's there now with the cranes on it is not the pier. That's the platform to build, rebuild the old concrete pier. So, so they built a pier to build a pier. Exactly. And they've got the giant cranes on the steel pier, which I thought was going to be our pier. I was like, oh, that's going to be great. Well, that's not it. That's just the platform to use the cranes to put in new pylons or whatever. Okay. My thought is all that steel's getting rusted, beat up, whatever. You got cranes driving across it. Why don't when they get ready to tear that down, like they did when they built the Bridge of Lions, what are they going to do with all that steel? Can't reuse it, reuse it again, I would imagine. I wouldn't think they could do too much with I don't it. Know. Let's pick it up and make a reef. Make a reef with it. Mm-hmm. It'd be perfect. That would work. That's I mean, a you thought. Can, you can recycle some of that stuff. I don't know about that particular one, but yeah. And that's what happens. A lot of times when they tear out bridges and replace it, you take that old concrete and put it offshore and make a reef out of it. Because if, if you don't put it offshore, I mean, what does what, what it cost? To, like, like, for example, let's say you, you tore out an old bridge. The, the cost of dumping or, you know, don't, you got to do something with it anyway, and it's going to cost you some money to do something with it anyway, right? Yeah, you, you don't want to put it in a landfill, which happens to some of it. Um, in some cases, they can make crush, crush crete out of it. Right. Um, and, but there's only a limited amount of use for that material. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anybody that is in the city government that has a job that's specifically meant for let's – Make sure that we have an awareness for some of the great resources that we have, which is which is our community, which is our waterways, our fisheries, and and is, is there anybody that has that in a position that can see all of that? Um, not really, and some people might argue with me. There are people probably assigned to that job, but it's one of a myriad of jobs that they've got to do, mm-hmm. and like anything else, they're dealing with the emergency at the moment. And promoting fishing and building artificial reefs is a very low priority for the city. I mean, to, for, like, I mean that's that needs to be a high priority. I, I mean, we we think. agree. I mean, so I, I'd, I'd encourage fishermen to talk to their city council representatives and tell them they support this idea. And I'm not saying it just for for fishermen, but I mean, if if, if you go and you look at some of the the counties, mm-hmm. uh, municipalities that are in southern Florida, with the quality of their boat ramps, the quality of the access of their outdoors, yeah. It makes Jacksonville look pathetic. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm. I'm, I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah I, I tend to agree. Uh, we have a, a low tax mentality, and some of our nat- some of our resources reflect that tax base. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's uh, let's go talk to Dale. He's got a reef question. We'll talk to Chris. Uh, good morning, Dale. Good morning. I was listening to the, the good doctor's statement about separating through distance, say, an existing living reef structure or some kind of live dwelling structure for animals 
in a river or at sea, comparing that to putting in something that's man-made. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's enough, this has been going on for probably a couple of generations now, there's probably a lot of data about how to do this, what works, what doesn't. My question is, when you distance a man-made restructure to something already existing, everything in nature is a competition. Animals compete for food, for space, for mates. Is it possible unintentionally to create a, a way, a system that the two reefs would be competing against each other, something you don't want versus enhancing each other? Is there some evidence how that works between what, how, what do you distance between something man-made and something already in place to make sure there aren't some damaging consequences to putting that new structure in? You're exactly right. And that's one of the questions that people have been asking for a long time. Because one of the questions a lot of times is, if you build a reef and it's too close to an existing reef or if it's too far away, what is the impact? Um, if it's too close, do all, you, is all you've done is draw the fish off of the natural reef onto the artificial reef because it's a different spot to be and the, you really haven't increased anything. All you've done is just redistribu- redistributed it. And so there's been a lot of work done on that exact question. And this is why a lot of us feel like you need to have a fair amount of distance between your your natural reef and an artificial reef. If you go offshore, and I was talking about the fact that you've got these rocky outcroppings, which we oftentimes refer to that as live bottom. Because if you dive on it, you look at it, there's life there, there's coral, there's plants, um, depending on how much sunlight there is, uh, lots of fish, big, big fish, little fish, etc. Well, then if you go off and dive on the sandy bottom, we sometimes call that soft bottom or we call it live or dead bottom. Um, and so it's not really dead because if you get down and look at it, you've got starfish and sand dollars and tube worms and all kinds of stuff in it, but you don't see the fish. Why? Because the animals are living down in the sand for protection so they don't get eaten. <laughs> okay. So what you want to do is sort of, and sometimes in those areas, you can go in and build your artificial reefs there, make the surface, then things get attracted to that. And it's a it's sort of it's really cool when you watch it. We saw the same, particularly we saw, we saw it at the San Marco Reef in particular, because we, we equipped that reef with lots of small pieces of rock that we could bring back up and examine. Um, the first thing that happens is the bacteria get on it, and so they start decontaminating the surface. You don't sort of think about that, but that's actually what what's happening. And then then you start having the animals that sort of swim around as larval forms, and they attach to it. So mm-hmm. you'll get barnacles. And then you'll get oysters, and then you'll get mussels, and then you'll start seeing crabs. You'll see things, little mossy animals called bryozoans. You'll see these things begin to creep in there, and that's what the fish come in. And then you'll start seeing little fish come in, and then you'll see bigger fish, and then you'll see big The whole chain of things. Yeah, the whole chain of things. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, and thank you, Dale, good question. Uh, we also have, uh, and going to talk to Chris and Sean and Mark. We're going to get to all the questions that we can. Because uh, Dr. Quentin White from Jacksonville University, Executive Director of uh, the Marine Science Research Institute, is in-house. And if you'd like to call in, 904-641-1010. Welcome back to the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show. It's time now for the LV Hires Inc. Gear Tip of the Week. LV Hires supplies quality fuels and lubricants to uh, job sites and businesses all around the southeast. Been doing it for an incredibly long time to help the bottom line and also to make sure the equipment keeps on running without interruption. And this week, Captain Kirk 
has a Kobe reel that uh, you fell in love with. Yeah, we just, Shimano Saragossa. Saragossa, five thousand. Like Saragossa, um, like Tony Saragossa, the old yeah. defensive tackle for the Baltimore goose. Ravens. You could call it the goose if you want to. <laughs> the Shimano Saragossa five thousand. And big I, handle. I like it. I've got you know you've got the big handle to cup the reel with. Uh, you've got uh, the ability to hold two hundred twenty-five yards of Power Pro braid. It's got forty-four pounds of waterproof drag. They're not really expensive. Um, I like the. Uh, Paladon gearing. It's just real smooth the way it spins on the handle. And I noticed I, we used it yesterday. We ran offshore and, and we were catching four to 10 pound red snapper with it. And I was really impressed. Those guys were really able to. That's the handle that comes with it? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's got, it's got the, uh, it's a little bit longer handle and it has the big knob. So, I mean, that thing right there, you can almost grab it with your whole hand. Instead of having it to grab it with just a couple fingers, you know. And I liked it because, you know, constantly when you're out there fishing, your stuff's getting wet all the time. And that waterproof drag really was money yesterday when those fish were hitting that thing and, and stripping it real hard. Um, and for the price point, you can get it at Strike Zone or, was it uh, 259 yeah. 99 Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. And, if you know, if that doesn't run your – your flag up the pole. They also have the Shimano bait runners that, that can equally be used. They're a little bit cheaper. I think those are going for $179.99 at Strike Zone. There you go. So There it is at, uh, at your LV Hires Inc. Gear Tip of the Week. Uh, check out the new uh, Shimano Saragossa 5000. Got the big handle, uh, $259 at Strike Zone. Great Kobe reel. Yep. And we're back here with the Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show. Dr. Quentin White, Executive Director Marine Science Research Institute at Jacksonville University, and we're talking recently. We got the phone lines loaded up. Let's go talk to Chris. He's got a barge story. He wants to talk about the barge story. Good morning, Chris. Hey guys. Good morning. Um, I'm I'm sorry. This isn't uh, especially about the reefs or anything, but my aunt was in town from Texas, and she grew up here. So I was kind of driving around and went up to Rebalt Monument, and we were standing up there, and I looked down in the water, and I looked at her, and I said. That barge has broken loose and it's float, floating away. And she goes, "No, nah, there's got to be a tug behind it or something." I said, "You see any wash coming from behind that?" Uh oh, oops. Loose, and we watched it go all the way over into that bulkhead on the other side, and all we could hear was crunching. Oh yeah, I think it, it took two or three docks out on Little Marsh Island. That's yeah, right. Yeah, it was. It, it was very bizarre to watch. So this is where to tell people where. So this, this is, is over there by White Shell Rocks. That point right there with that big house on the point. Okay. It sits up real high. It's got yeah. the crow's nest in the very top of it. It's right across from um, the Reebok Monument. So okay. if you go straight and across the where, river. And that's where I was. I was I was up on top of Reebok Monument looking down. So we had the bird's eye view of it. And I, I was kind of scared and I didn't know. You know, who am I supposed to call right now? And <laughs> no. by the time I would have called anybody, yeah. this thing was a great question. You've seen a barge. 911. Um, who do I call? <laughs> call 911. Yeah. Hey, I want to report a loose barge. Uh, yeah, exactly. That woke dispatchers up. <laughs> Did uh, Kirk, Kirk, he showed me a picture, and this is pretty wild, Chris. He, he showed me a picture earlier because he actually uh, had a couple guys that were out on the water in their boats and took pictures of it. And one of the docks that that barge drifted into had a boat. Oh. Uh, oh. one of the docks had yeah. a boat in it, and the and the boat <laughs> that boat is gone underwater. It's a, ah. it's, yeah, it's toast. 
Yeah, so. And then I got giggled because I, well, I say giggled, but I saw that and then I thought, well, then there's that barge with all the ash on it just sitting out there. And then there's the other barge up north stuck out. I was like, what the hell's going on? (laughs) Chris giggled. Wow. (laughs) And you don't realize how heavy that thing is. I mean, it's it's massive. It's like a skyscraper oh, yeah. floating on the water. We, in fact, uh, Kirk just showed me some video, and th- this is this is the barge still adrift. Yeah, it's adrift, and that person is in in their yard. Oh my! Taking a video of it, and it just takes the dock. <laughs> oh my out. gosh! It's on Facebook. And you can see the people. You can see the people standing over there. And I ran to grab my binoculars out of the truck. And was just watching it, and it was so such a helpless feeling. Oh yeah, yeah. It's you know, one of those things where you, you, you literally the guy or who a lady whoever is taking this video, the barge is right at the end of her dock and is starting to push on the boathouse, and it's almost like you want to run to the end of the dock and, and like you would a boat, you know, push, push the barge off. off. Push it off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Try to nose it off there. <laughs> but so, I mean, I just, holy it was cow. just interesting. It was just interesting, and I I thought about you guys when I was watching it. I was like. But see, I didn't know exactly. I heard the crunch, and then I got home, turned on the news, and they're like, "Barge hit!" You know, I was like, "I just watched that happen." Yeah, that's uh, that's, yeah, that's 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 causing some damage right there. Yep, that twelve million dollars they made that day. That's uh, there's a big chunk of that going in. Yeah, kitty. you're going back to pay well, for dock it, repair and a new boat. CNA Spring Construction, folks, call them up. (laughs) (laughs) A little plug there for one of our sponsors. Your little piece of waterfront heaven that just got jacked up by the barge, call CNH Marine Construction. They can take care of you. Oops. (laughs) I'm I'm curious how something like that comes loose from its mooring. Somebody didn't tie it up right. One of the deckhands failed to do what he was supposed to do, or they had a bad piece of, of anchor of rope, rope, not or, rope. I mean, probably yeah. you know, the anchor somehow came loose. I mean, uh, that's a, you know, they're using big old Hauser cables. So something didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Something, some, you know, somebody messed up. Somebody shot the pooch. <laughs> oh yeah. There was some yelling and I've heard that different ways. Cursing yeah, going on. Yeah, about exactly. That one. Oh yeah. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys. Take care. All right. Man. All right. Uh, yeah. That, uh, just the, did you see the video on that, Doctor? I should hand that to yeah, Doctor. I don't see that. I mean, it's, it is incredible. I mean, literally, the, the thing is, it blocks out the sun, the size of the barge. Right? What do you need? The St. John's right now is um, over four hundred feet long and weighed seven thousand tons. Okay, I, w- I want to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk about that barge, and then we're also going to talk to. Uh, to Sean, Mark, they they all want to kind of get in on some of the reef questions. So, folks, uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM with special guest Dr. Quentin White, Executive Director, Jacksonville University Marine Science Research Institute. All right, so if you've got a little uh, handyman thing that you need to have done around the house and you really suck at handyman things. Yep, that'd uh, be me. Yeah, that's Chris. Uh, be like Chris and call Handyman Travis, 904-510-4020. Right. I like that. Be like me. Yeah. Uh, handle it <laughs> and make the wife better half, way happy, and also make yourself happy that you can sit back and go, yep, that's the best phone call I ever made. Welcome back to the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show. Jeff Logman, Captain Kirk Waltz, and a special guest, Dr. Quentin Wright from Jacksonville University. And we're talking reefs, we're talking barges, we're talking a little bit of everything. 
And uh, b- before we get to the phone lines, uh, the, the barge off of Jacksonville that had the ash, Kirk, you said that uh, they have been offloading it mm-hmm. to another barge. Right. And uh, is Dr. White, where where is that at? And uh, at what point is that going to be no longer an issue to watch? Well, it's going to take them a while to offload. The, the barge itself, is something like 416, 418 feet long, weighed over 7,000 tons. Whew. Hard to believe. Yeah, they've been steady. They were back at it again yesterday. They've been on station 24-7. So what, are, what are they doing? They're, what do they have, like an excavator? Or they're, they're, No, they're bringing in huge cranes and additional barges, and they're offloading the material from the drogue barge into the container barges or whatever. Um to offload that, and I don't know where they're taking that. It's actually listing, and it's sitting on the bottom. Right. So at at some point, it actually sank to the point where they can't move it because oh the material are, is in it. Well, it was to, to their credit, it was wisely sunk on purpose. Um, what happened was uh, March twenty second, the barge was coming into Jacksonville from Puerto Rico, loaded with cold ash. Um, cold ash is the material that's left over when you burn coal, is the simplest way to put it. Um, there are different kinds of coal ash, because you'll hear people talk about fly ash, which is the stuff that sometimes blows out of the stack, and that real fine, gritty stuff that we don't like to see around. Then you've got the heavier material, and they take this material. Um, Puerto Rico doesn't want it on the island because it's, it's toxic. Um, but this is one of these classic ironies. We talk about government bureaucracy sometimes. Uh, our Environmental Protection Agency has said that it's not a hazardous waste. Even though it's hazardous and it's a waste, um, I think, I guess, the coal lobby— Well, if it's not hazardous, then what they should do is that they should spread it around their building Well, where they work uh, and in their houses. And, I mean, not, if it's that, not toxic. not going to happen. No, it's <laughs> um, not. And so right? they, they want it in lined landfills and things like that. So they, it gets barged from Puerto Rico to Jacksonville and then offloaded here and taken to a landfill— in Georgia. Um, now, the material is actually usable. It's sort of like the crush crete. We were talking about a few minutes ago about grinding up the, the old concrete stuff and making crush crete out of it. Crush crete is fairly inert. It's mostly calcium carbonate. This fly ash material is loaded with hazardous material. I mean, lead, mercury, z- zinc, cadmium. Is that, that's just, those are just naturally occurring things in coal? Exactly. And so once you burn it off, that's kind of what's left over? Exactly. But it's concentrated at that point, right? I mean, it's highly concentrated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it'll leach out of it. Uh, I was talking to one of my graduates last night about it, and she, she was like just astounded. And she said, I can't believe they do that. I said, yeah, I can't either, but that's the way it is. So at any rate, what happened was the, the barge came in, hit the jetties, and started taking on water. And so... They very wisely pulled it out and basically ran it aground to get it onto the bottom so it wouldn't sink. And this was probably a very, very wise move because at the time it was a storm, and we've had several storms since then. Yeah. And most people listening to the show are probably around boats, understand the, the, the twisting and the turning and the torque on a boat constant. So you can imagine that barge sitting out there being twisted and turned and tweaked, bottoms damaged. A lot of us worried that this material was going to dump into the, the ocean there. Absolutely. And then, then because it's only a mile off the, the beach there um, from the mouth of the river, 
you get the right wind and the right incoming tide, that stuff's all coming into the river. Yeah. Remember when I talked a few minutes ago about the idea that all that stuff, that fine stuff comes into the river and stays. And so hitting us and impacting it, um, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, and you guys talked about the fact I used the word catastrophic, which I don't do very often. No. And, you know, it had the potential to be a catastrophic problem. Um, I think we've been very lucky. We've had some very competent people working on this, and I'll, I'll give them credit. Uh, I have a lot of admiration for the Coast Guard. I think they do a really good job. They try very, very hard. Those guys are, are tremendous. They put their lives on the line a lot of times to save us. Um, and this is a good example. They've been monitoring this. And thus far, we've not had any widespread. Now, there has been some. Because um, you don't move this kind of material and not lose some in the process, but it right. hasn't been the massive problem that it could have been had that boat, that barge broken, boat broken that, up. That's great to hear. I mean, because you know when we first started talking about this, we were talking about accountability and somebody oh. stepping up and taking care of business, which is great. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, this is costing them a lot of money, uh, a lot of money. Oh, it's got to be major. I see anywhere from two to three tugs on station, twenty-four. Hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, you've got to, they've got to be out there to monitor the situation. Um, and they can only pull off so much weight per day. And so it's going to take a while to <clears throat> lighten this barge enough to be able to float it safely. Um, and I'm not exactly sure where it's going in Jacksonville to be offloaded. Well, once um, it get done they, offloaded, you know it. what? Uh, would it be a perfect thing for a reef? Well, um, I want to be careful because you got to clean it because I don't yeah. want this stuff with all the material going back offshore someplace. Absolutely. So you got to clean the whole thing, and it could end up as a reef. That's not a bad idea. Hmm. Just a thought. All right, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's bring up Mark. He's got an offshore reef question. Good morning, Mark. Morning, fellas. How are y'all? Good. Good. Yeah. Hey, uh, you ought to see if you can purchase a couple of sections of our golden ray up here. They've been cutting up. They make perfect <laughs> reef material. <laughs> The what? Yeah, the, the, the golden rays, the, the ship that tilted over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, car absolutely. carrier that's over there yeah. in the edge of St. Andrew's Sound. Be great. Yeah, Turn that, out into a that, thing's been, that thing's been sitting between Jekyll and St. Simons now for almost two years while they're salvaging exactly. it. But, yeah. uh, Good gosh, they're still cutting that thing up. Oh, yeah, yeah. From what I understand, the state of Georgia is getting two pieces. Yeah, they may. And, I've, uh, I've not heard. Um, I was involved with that a little bit on the, the front end, but I have not been. Um, I think they're actually taking most of that steel uh, to be recycled. Um, yeah, Louisiana. That's a good example because the yeah it goes to Louisiana. The um, that's a good example. That ship was a relatively new ship and just yeah, it was only two years old. Tip, tip wow! And that, uh, when that first happened, I was, I was out there. Uh, I mean, I live up here. I was out there the next morning. Uh, yeah. I mean, it hadn't been uh, wrecked more than about eight hours when I first saw it. And there was something like four thousand cars on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was loaded. It was fully loaded, heading uh, heading uh, somewhere up toward Virginia or New York or wherever. To Brand new Hyundais. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh. You could see them in there while they've been cutting this thing up. I'll cruise around, yep. you know, while they're salvaging just out of curiosity. Look, and you, when, in the cut sections, you can see the vehicles still. So they there. should open up a sign that says, uh, uh, Free Hyundais? Free cars? Well, no. It's just uh, <laughs> junkyard Hyundais. You pull it. Yep. You pull pick. Pull your boat and you go in you, there. And... You pick. But, you know, that's a yep. great example of, of a environmental problem. Um, yep. it's, it's They've been done a good bad. job it's, containing it. Yeah, but, yep. but there's pieces of trucks and cars washing ashore, I understand, up there. 
And there's yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, uh, when you say up here, I mean, I'm on the water here a lot. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we've got some problems, but they're nowhere near as major as they could have been. The, oh, yeah. The, uh, the company up here that's in charge of uh, putting out the booms and so forth, they've done, they, under the circumstances, they've done a good job. And so has the salvage company. They've really been cautious about what they do. And uh, they've done a pretty good job. You ought to see these sections once they get them cut and that big old giant crane picks up a whole section of ship and then sets it on a barge it's pretty cool mark how much yeah. of it is left up there on that sandbar i think they got three more chunks to haul off and that's it so less than half uh, a good bit less than half probably probably down to a quarter wow 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 but uh they that's would make excellent reef material like i said from what i understand the state of georgia has already put dibs on two of the pieces and we've already got the rudder and the propeller already out at the uh sport fish club reef 19 miles out right. nice i'd heard that early on good deal you right. believe how big but you gotta you take believe the, car, how big you gotta that take the cars is. off of it yeah. yeah yeah well how big was that rudder <laughs> oh shoot yeah you mark that thing on the color scope it's laying flat down on the side it sticks up probably six feet off the bottom and probably i don't know 30 by 50 Whew. and uh the propeller is sitting upright. You can literally see it on a good graph. Oh, wow. You know, and that's really and proactive of the Georgia DNR to do that, you know? Yeah. Yep. Kudos to them. One of the questions, one of the questions I wanted to ask the doctor, and this concerns uh, reef ecology as much as anything, and I'm not complaining about red snapper regulations. That's not the question. But <laughs> that species should generally be recognized as an apex reef predator in my opinion. Since they've been allowed to proliferate to the point that they have, I mean, we're literally infested with them up here now. Am I wrong in noticing that the other species that we used to fish for a lot and catch a lot of, like vermilion snappers, larger black sea bass, they seem to be going away. Hmm. What are the odds that we've got so many red snapper now that they're literally eating a lot of our offshore habitat out of house and home? All right, interesting question. Thank you, Mark. We're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll let Dr. White answer that question. And, yeah. uh, because I think it is, it's is—it's a very good question. A lot of people are, have been wondering, is that it's valid. becoming an issue? So we'll get to the answer to that and more. And, uh, folks, uh, don't forget, if you've got a boat trailer and uh, tired of keeping it in your yard, call Stack M Storage and let them handle that and take it away, and they put it in storage for you. And if you need it, they make sure they get it up, cleaned up, ready to go, for you to use Stack M Storage and go to our website, homepage of outdoorshow.com. Just click on the link of Stack M Storage and you are good to go. And if you want to call us this morning, 904 641 1010, right here on the Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show. <laughs> Coastal equipment on New Kings Road, your home of Kubota, Gravely Zero Turn Mowers, and all the hot seat pressure washers that you could imagine. Don't forget about the steel power equipment. If you've got some honeydews that you're going to handle yourself, get the right equipment at Coastal Equipment. Two locations, one in Jacksonville, the other one in McLennan. Welcome back to the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show. Dr. Quentin White from Jacksonville University in studio. We're talking reefs. We're talking a little bit of everything. And uh, let's go talk to Handy Randy this morning. And, oh, wait uh, a minute. See... Before we do Handy, yeah. though, I mean, did, Dr. White, didn't you have a question? That you had to answer. Yeah, oh yeah, and I'm, I'm going to do that because the question was about the red snapper. Yeah, because I'm. I'm All right, well, let's do in that, that first. That's uh, handy, fun. Randy, hang tight. Uh, the question was posed: Are the 
are the red snapper because of the restrictions that are put on red snapper that obviously a lot of the fishermen in our area think that it's ridiculous. Some of the rules and regs that are currently in place are, is the, is there an overpopulation now of red snapper that's affecting the other species that we used to catch or that we're not catching now? Uh, the short answer is probably not. Um, but it's a, this has become sort of a, this is a complex question because of the way in which fisheries and the dynamics of fisheries in the food chain work. Um, red snapper are one of the top predators, but they're not the top predator because they get eaten by bigger fish and sharks and things like that. Um, but we become a predator too because we fish them off the reef. And in some areas, that probably is true that they've been overfished. And that's, this is where you get into this balancing act. Over a long, long period of time, what's happened ecologically is that the number of species being born and the number of species dying from whatever reason, being eaten or getting old or being caught or whatever, reaches a sort of equilibrium. But we see these short-term changes, and this is where we as humans don't always understand the long-term process because we don't always think about year to year to year. Now, you talk to some of the, I mean, some of us old-timers who've been around for a long time, we, we think about how this used to be, and we realize that there's been this sort of cycle of, Sometimes they go up, sometimes they go down, yep. sometimes they go up, sometimes they go down. And sometimes it's every year, sometimes it's every other year. You look at population problems. We did some work on King Mackerel a few years ago. There was a, there, I, I'm continuing to think there is a two-year cycle between the big fish and the little fish, the numbers. Um, and the reality is we don't have very good data on offshore fishing. Um, and <laughs> it's somewhat comical in some respect because, and I'll put myself in the same boat, we fishermen – are lousy data givers. We don't share information very well. Right. And so when you start talking about to people, where'd you catch it? What'd you catch? How'd you do it? Uh, east in the Atlantic <laughs> with mm-hmm. bait. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's, it doesn't, it's not helpful. And so you've got to ha- literally send scientists out. And this is what Florida Fish and Wildlife is doing right now. And in fact, the, the lab that's at our Marine Science Research Institute, uh, which is sort of unusual because here we are, a private university with a nonprofit status, and we have a state lab in our building, and the synergy is incredibly good. But they are now doing a systematic sampling of red snapper offshore Florida. But it's, it's a three- to five-year study because it takes that long to get that kind of information. Um, you know, I keep talking about this artificial reefs and we did in San Marco. That was a three-year study. Why? Because it takes that long. And in the middle of that, you have a hurricane, which changes everything. Right, and so then you start scratching your head, how do you digest that data? So you, you want to get 10, 15, 20 years worth of data so you can start seeing trends. And then you couple with that economics. Economics, what does that have to do with it? Well, when the economy is good, people buy boats, they fish more. Economy is bad, they don't buy boats, they don't fish good. And so these things impact. We see it impacting manatees. Um, when you have a good economy and there's more boats in the water, you see more manatee deaths. When you have bad economy, fewer people in the water, fewer manatee deaths. I relate that to is something that I was taught when I was younger about going into the woods. And we've discussed it on the show about how the Native Americans called it a bubble. And once a human in, in, incurs itself into the bubble of nature, the dynamic of nature change. Sure. We're a top-level predator. We're coming in and we're disrupting the food chain. Absolutely. And we, and we do that to the fishery too. 
we sometimes become unaware of it because selfishly we're like, oh, you know, the bite was really good. Well, what's wrong with the bite? Well, the bite is because they've been getting beat on. And it's the same if you go up to your place, Jeff, and we deer hunt up there and we all pile into the same food plot over and over and over again. Guess what? Those deer aren't going to go in that food plot very much. After a while, they're going to go, I don't like this. Mm. These humans are really it's annoying. Stinky guy. Yeah, it's getting smelly in here. It smells more like humans than deer. And they leave. Um, and I think we do the same thing to the fishery. I, I think that this, and I hate this word because I hate what's happened to our country in the last year, but the pandemic that we've experienced, I have seen more boaters in the last 10 months than I have seen as a 24 year career charter boat captain going on 25 years. I've, it's, it's amazing how many people are fishing during the week right now that aren't working. They've got boats. Or that are working, but they're working from home, and they're being more productive, and so they can take a little break Yeah, yeah. and go fishing. But, they, but, but you're right. I mean, the, our boat ramps at, in the peak of the pandemic were packed. packed. Absolutely. And not only just people from here, people from coming from outside of the realm of Florida going, Florida's open. They're okay. We're going to go down there. Dr. White over there, I can see him just sitting there going, oh, you know, because, you know, the pandemic, I mean, it's created uh, an influx of people wanting to come here where things have been open. Yeah, well, that's not all bad. And, but but it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, one of the things we did in terms of, again, on our reef studies, we, we talked to a lot of fishermen and a lot of boaters. And I was shocked at the number of people who were not fishing, just boating. Mm-hmm. And about 85% of those people at the boat ramp are not fishing. They're just out there boating. Mm-hmm. And so, and huge amount of personal watercraft, kayaks, um, paddle boards, that kind of use. So we've, we saw a huge increase in our water usage, which was great. Um, but we also, you're right, but because the whole thing rose, then the number of fishermen rose. Fisher people, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we do is we have a tendency to take the biggest and best animals out of the population. Um, and for fish, those oftentimes are females. And those are, you know, this time of the year, you start finding them a little bit later, particularly you'll find them loaded with roe. Yep. Well, that's your reproductive potential. And that's why you start seeing slotted redfish, and you've seen what happens there. Look at deer. I'm a deer hunter. You know, what are you looking for? The biggest, best buck. You know, uh, it's the same phenomenon. I'm personally looking for a really tasty young does. Well, I say that and people, well, you, you shoot does. I said, well, they do taste better, but that's another whole story. <laughs> can't, I always tell people you can't eat the horns. <laughs> they're, they're nice, but you can't eat those. Oh. There's more meat on them. That's the other thing. <laughs> that's right. I can eat more of this venison sausage we're eating this morning. So. Uh, that's why you take two does, Doc. <laughs> you can have the big buck. I'll take two does eat, but they're way better. I'm right, not a – Let's go to the phone lines and let's uh, let's get uh, Randy in here. He's been hanging on for a while. We'll let him ask a question here. Good morning, Randy. Hey, good morning, guys. Appreciate the conversation this morning. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, just working on the uh, garden tiller out here this morning, getting her tuned up. Got some uh, silver queen corn down and some white acre peas in the big garden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm all about conservation and responsible government. This is why I am a member of the Nisanis fan club because some of our leadership has some sense about them and they're doing some right things but we in florida i hope they're listening to this we're sitting on a gold mine number one we got the water if and and this is not new to you guys we've talked about it for years if we can the more we can make the water accessible friendly fun 
the more we can grow this state into something like uh, Las Vegas of Florida, if you will. I mean, we've got everything there we need. We need the infrastructure. We need people that focus and understand that we need the ramps and the docks and the family areas, the covered areas where you don't get out there and get burned up. And I just wanted to throw that in because it kind of goes along with your conversation. And I'm on the interstate a lot during the weeks, and I'm seeing out-of-state tags like crazy. And, you know, uh, we welcome people to come down here, and they're looking for the same thing we are, freedom and sports and going have fun in your area. But we haven't done a good job, I don't think, of developing those areas, and we, we need to do better at that. Whoever hears this that's responsible for that, just hear us, hear me, hear us, that we want better things to come from our waterways. Thank you, Randy. That's Thank you. Have a good day. I, I agree fully. Um, and we've had some success stories. Uh, I'll go back to Alvin Brown's administration with the number of kayak launches that we put around the city. Um, but again, they weren't necessarily maintained and signed the way they sort of need to, needed to be. Um, and I do think in the last few years, um, the city has done a little bit better job of maintaining and working on ramps and some of the docks. But we battle hurricanes. You, you sort of don't realize the damage that was done through Irma and Matthew and, and everything. And it, it takes a long time and a lot of money to repair those. And some of them, you know, the, the docks downtown Jacksonville are still not in very good repair. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And that's what people don't like to hear. Oh, we got to spend money to do it. And so it's it's a balance act, no doubt about it. And I, I think that's the one thing that uh, we were talking off the air a little bit ago, and <clears throat> you were talking about. Okay, the balancing act is it costs money, and then do you, do you raise taxes to accomplish that, or do you essentially find a way to channel the money differently? And so then you create, you know, obviously. Um, uh, shortage somewhere to maybe put money into what we're talking about doing here with the with the docks and the boat ramps and everything else until you have a little resistance to people that want to. You have people that want to have improvement. Then you go pe- have people at the same breath are saying, "Wait a minute, you don't need to raise my taxes to do that." Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I get it, and, there, and I'm sure that there's plenty of waste within our government, which we could probably do a lot what? better of making sure that we're a little bit more efficient with that right. money so that right. we do have money to be able to pay for some of these things. But um, I hope that we can do a better job going forward and with some of our boat ramps and the public access uh, uh, things in our community because that's the one area that I – there's been some improvement in the last yeah. you know, 26 years that I've been here. Uh, but man, not what you would expect in 26 years, N- not even close. And so, so anyway, let's take a break. We'll come back uh, more with Dr. Quentin White, Jacksonville University, um, Marine Science Research Institute. Uh, if you've got questions about reefs, et cetera. And then also we need to talk about Piney Point. We haven't even touched on that. And then also the blue green algae that is seen around Lake Okeechobee. We want to get to that as well. And also can talk to you, 904-641-1010. I want to remind everybody that, look, if you're looking for a little quick summer getaway, Steenhatchee River Club, 352-498-3222. Uh, or you can go to our homepage of OutdoorShow.com and click on the Steenhatchee River Club link. A short drive away, and boy, does it feel like you're so far away. Beautiful place. Check it out. Steenhatchee River Club.
Whalen Bay Marine, if you're uh, looking for a boat, Whalen Bay Marine, they've got a whole bunch of different kinds of boats, and uh, boy, uh, they did a great job at the boat show that was downtown. They had a lot of boats down there. I mean, a lot of boats, a lot more than most of the other dealerships, but they've got a wide range to choose from, Sea Fox, Mako, Contender, Tracker, Cape Horn, I mean, you name it, they've got it, Shearwater. So go by and see the boys at, uh, and girls at Whalen Bay Marine down in St. Augustine, and uh, that's uh, 845 State Road 207. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Mike's got an interesting question about St. John's cleanup, and uh, and that's always a great question and a great topic to talk about. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, guys. I enjoy the show very much. Dr. White, good morning. Thank you. I think the most efficacious thing we could do would be to cut a channel from the headwaters of the Swimming Pen Creek into Black Creek, whether it just be a big culvert or an open waterway channel or whatever, and that would flush all the way out Stockton's Lake, all the way out to the ocean. Even if you categorize it as simply a flood relief factor, but the, 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 the upside to it is it would, it would get all that fresh water coming out of Black Creek, especially when it floods, and flush all the way from, you know, south of Buckman Bridge all the way out to the ocean. Uh, that water goes into the St. John's anyway through the natural flow of Black Creek. Yeah, and, but it doesn't, and flow, the, it doesn't flow through Doctor's Lake. Why do you want it to flow oh, through, through Doctor's Lake? Doctor's Lake. Well, Doctor's Lake is a is a hot point right now with the uh, septic tank overflows and and uh, and the algae blooms. And if you can clean that stuff out, they're spending millions of dollars right now studying it. But I. It seems to me like that would be a no-brainer. I have heard that suggestion before. I'm not a real big fan of digging canals to move water because I like the natural flow pattern. And I think the the better solution there is to clean up the septic tanks that are discharging into Doctors Lake. But you're right. Uh, Doctors Lake is one of those hot spots where we find the blue-green algae, the microcystis, something like that, popping up uh, more frequently because it's a small enclosed area that, it's a little warmer and right. has more nutrients in it. I was just thinking about the cost-benefit ratio. It seems to me like that would be a lot. Yeah, the one thing I think that you start to incur when you start doing things of that nature are unexpected consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so all of a sudden you do something where you think, okay, this is going to be for the betterment of an area. Well, then all of a sudden things happen that you just never even thought could happen. So I mean, I'm doc- with Dr. White. Let's just clean up what the problem is, which is – the septic tanks and all of that. And, and speaking of that, thank you, by the way, uh, Mike, the, the, the blue-green algae, which uh, Captains for Clean Water had a post on social media just recently, and they were talking about the uh, a marina that had this blue-green algae bloom. How often do we see that in and around Jacksonville and, uh, and what has been the severity of it, and how dangerous can it be? Uh, we monitor this constantly. Um Interesting, we've not had that much of it since about 2017 when Irma came through um, because we had such a huge flush out, if you would, at that point in yeah, time. Yeah, that was giant. And, um, but we've watched it happen. Uh, prior to 2017, I used to see it and used to worry about it because along about now, as the water was starting to warm up and you had the nutrients in the water and 
this is sort of a, a fairly common phenomenon. Our nutrient level right now is, is pretty high, and it will actually fall a little bit as the algae blooms and sucks up those nutrients, and then the phytoplankton expands, the zooplankton then eat the phytoplankton kind of thing, and you'll see the nutrient level begin to drop. But this is the time of year we start worrying about it because once that water temperature passes that 70, 72 point, gets on up there, 75, 80, 85, then gets up into the 90s, then you start finding that real severe blue-green algae. It likes very warm water with lots of nutrients, and that's what we're sort of headed towards right now. Um, rainfall plays a big role in it. Um, the more rain we've had. And it's interesting because actually the first quarter this year, we had what I call fairly typical rainfall patterns. Since then, we've actually had a lot of rain, and we've had more rain than normal. And a lot of that rain has been either north of us, uh, which doesn't tend to impact the St. John's River as much, but well south of us. Mm-hmm. And we sort of forget that when it rains down in Orlando, between Orlando and St. Augustine, that water is going into the St. John's River, and it's coming our way. And regretfully, 60% of the nutrient pollution we get into Duval County comes from the south. I don't doubt that for a second. It's not homegrown. Um, We're getting it out of, and I'm not picking on the potato fields of Hastings, but, you know, it's, it's the agriculture. It's the Orlando runoff. It's all the other things that are south of us that all those septic tanks are coming this way. Mm hmm. That's uh, and a lot of that stuff. I mean, to the south, I mean Orlando. I mean, wow. Yeah. Uh, the runoff. Yeah, and you know we over fertilize and we do all the things we we do and we've we've modified things. Um, so we, you know, the gentleman talking, Mike was talking about building the canal. I'm just not a big fan of man-made solutions of that kind of stuff. I'd I'd rather have a natural system uh, to process it. Um, you know, we can. The Ocklawaha, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of restoring the Ocklawaha because I think having those wetlands filtering that water and returning that fresh water into the St. John's is a much more efficient way of mm-hmm. treating that system. Yeah, a lot of bass fishermen go, ah. I know, they argue with me, but, you know, I go back. That was one, and I've said this on the show before. It, this was, I've watched this since I got to Jacksonville 40-some years ago. And, oh, no, I'm, a few years ago I, I was talking to people also, well, you know, it wasn't until we built the Akawaha, we built the dam, the Robin Dam, that we started, that Palatka became the bass fishing capital of the world. And I said, no, 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 I, I, I think it was bass fishing capital long before that. So I went back and dug into, and this was back in the old days when you had to go dig out the, the old clippings and found some clippings from the New York Times that advertised Palatka being the bass fishing capital of the world. This was back in the late 40s and early 50s. Mm-hmm. And you go, you go read some of the news stories that came along before they built the Cross Florida Barge Canal, when there was a lot of opposition, even though there was a lot of people in favor of it. And Palaka folks said, oh, look, look, we don't want this canal in here because it's going to mess up our fishing, it's going to mess up our water, it's going to mess up the economy. Well, now you want to know, okay, let's remove it and let's restore it to the natural. Oh, no, no, you can't do that because it'll mess up our water, mess up our fishing, yeah. and mess up our economy. Catch 22 like, there. Is it? But, you know, when they flooded the Akawaha uh, to create the reservoir or the pond, what you want to call it, um, they wiped out a dozen or more mom and pop fishing camps. Yep, were flooded. Uh, we basically capped off twenty some springs that flow into that system, and we still have to lower it every three to four years 
to keep the nutrient buildup and to keep the noxious weeds out. You know, it's time to breach yeah. the dam and let's restore the system. Let it flow. And let it flow. It, it, it'll create manatee habitat. It'll create more bass habitat. And the fishing will be great. All right. Okay. There you go. Uh, 904-641-1010. You're listening to the uh, Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show. We come back. Uh, we will get uh, the different phone lines. we got Anita, Eric, Mike, and Randy. So everybody hang tight right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Welcome back to the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show, and it's time now for the Ring Power Cat Tip of the Week. Ring Power in the Cat Rental Store has the youngest fleet in the industry. And if you need equipment, there's only one place to go. That is Ring Power in the Cat Rental Store to make sure that your job site and business continues to run without interruption because the equipment is dependable. So contact uh, Ring Power in the Cat Rental Store. Go to ringpower.com to learn more. Uh, Dr. White, you've got a couple summer camps that are coming up at jacksonville university and they are not virtual back to being in person this summer yeah we are and we're excited about it even though i have to admit last year because of covid like everybody else we had to go virtual and that what an eye-opening experience that was um we had to post on it we did it in july we had our friends over at jacksport help us out uh, financially put it on and Amazingly enough, we actually had 400 people registered, had over 2,000 views of our camp when it was going on. Um, blew me away. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. And so this year we're, fly, we're following the, the COVID guidelines, CDC, um, with how we're going to do things, how we're going to make sure everybody's protected. Um, but we're going to have two camps. One we're calling River Week, which is uh, June 21st to June 25th. And then the second week, we're calling O-Search Week, which is more shark-oriented, and we'll probably go up and visit the ship. And um, it's June 28th to July 2nd. Um, and the good news is this year, we actually have a residential camp. So the second week, if you'd like to come and live on campus, uh, we'll have activities for students that evening. But these are hands-on. Um, it runs from 8.30 in the morning until uh, 4.30 in the afternoon. And then we have an after-school care. We have a before-school care, before-camp care. Uh, so it's a it's a great experience. Uh, it's designed for teenagers, if you would, um, 13, 14 years old, up to about 18. Um, you'll work with our undergraduates and our graduate students as defense counselors and some of our faculty. So it's an exciting time. I think it'll be a, a if there's a lot of if there's a high school. First of all, camps are great great uh, way to expand the knowledge and get exposure to different things but also if somebody is has a, a child teenager that is thinking about going to Jacksonville University and maybe studying marine science or or going to Jacksonville University what a great way to do it to, to go ahead and do the overnight camp and stay during the week and participate in whether it be the the river week or the O-Search week that'd be pretty cool yeah and it, not even if you just want to go to JU but if you're interested in marine science it's a great hand Period, yeah. camp to, to get immersed in that so to speak um, the, uh, the camps, um, are $395 and we do have, um, scholarships. We are very grateful to our friends at in river and ocean, um, Clay Roberts Memorial foundation there, Gary Roberts, his dad, who's since passed away, he's a good friend of ours. And we're continuing that relationship with them. Um, we'll be partnering with the O-Search, the St. John's Riverkeeper. Uh, so it's an exciting time. Um, we've been doing this now for a number of years. We took a year off last year from virtual camp, but we're back. And so, um, in interest, I'd say look at the JU MSRI 
link, and you ought to be able to find the summer camp on that. Exactly. When, uh, on our Facebook page, uh, we got the link up there. You can click on that. You can sign up for the camps right there at the link that we provided on our Facebook page. And then also you can click on the brochure, which we have on our Facebook page as well. And that's your Ring Power Cat Tip of the Week. Check out Jacksonville University's Marine Science Summer Camp Options, two different weeks. Uh, be great activity and exposure for uh, a teenager to be able to participate and expand the knowledge. And if they're interested in marine science or looking just to, to learn a little bit more about marine science, maybe they're not even looking at you know making a, a college education out of it, but a great exposure to it. And I think that's awesome. Uh, I love I love the idea of summer camps. I wish that that I had more. I, I didn't do that. I mean, my summer camp as a kid was a bicycle and a couple dollars in my pocket, and mom saying, "See you at dinner time." Right. You know, <laughs> well, I, I, did, I, got, I did camp early on too. I did camp early on, but then once I became old enough to do anything, uh, my father, who was a owned a company called White Electric, which was um, an appliance sales and service company, I spent summers going around with him and his employees learning how to repair appliances. At the time, I wasn't real thrilled about it. Sometimes today, I'm real happy I know those skills. <laughs> Absolutely. So, in other words, if I got an issue with my refrigerator, I can call you? Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you who to call. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like me. <laughs> you know, when I was when I was in high school, uh, I was lucky enough to go on a marine biology trip uh, to Hawaii. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Darn. Um, yeah, so my dad Hawaii. is- Hawaii? My dad is awesome. Yeah, so, yeah- and and I and I didn't I didn't wind up following into marine biology you know in college, but the experience was absolutely unbelievable. The stuff that I saw was I, I mean you know snorkeling out there is a little different, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. And I mean just just beautiful, just amazing. It gives you a whole new appreciation. For oh yeah. So yeah, I, for I any for any teenager, I would highly recommend being a part of these camps. Yeah, and I, I think it's good for socialization skills too. It mm-hmm. gets you out, works with different people. Boy, don't we need more of that? Yep. Wait a minute. You, you get away from these stupid <laughs> the iPhones. Yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah. Good. Do they sit Gosh. there texting their teammates? Yeah. <laughs> Standing next to them and texting them. <laughs> oh, man. Don't get me started on that. All right. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get started on that. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Eric wants to talk about Piney Point, uh, something that we had mentioned earlier, have failed to get to yet. So uh, good morning, Eric. Yeah, just a couple things, not specifically about Piney Point. And, uh, but first of all, I want to thank you guys for having this forum for people to talk about these things. They're, you know, when something happens, the, the news, the local news, they run out with their cameras and they, they take a picture of it, talk about it, and it goes away. Uh, but these issues are like constantly, you know, 24-7, 365, and it's nice to have a forum for people to be able to talk about the environment and so on here. I, I agree 100%. When will we yeah. learn? Yeah. yeah. But um, what I'm going to say a couple of things I think are facts, and uh, the doctor, the good doctor there, can correct me if I'm wrong. First of all, uh, the algae blooms are not necessarily recent occurrences; they've been going on for a long while. So it's not all fertilizer runoff and so on. The Spanish, um, <clears throat> when they first got here, talked about red tide. This was back in the 1600s and so on. Right. So these issues are—they're not just being caused by us. Some of them are naturally occurring. Uh, the second thing is, I think there's about 24 or so places like Piney Point, Florida. So you you got a couple of dozen ticking time bombs um, that have to be dealt with. And I was hoping that this infrastructure money that they're turning loose to the states, um, that they're going to turn loose to the state, could go towards. So it'd be nice if we could try to figure out how to clean these things up. And the last thing is, and I'm sure the doctor's familiar with this, and you guys may know about it as well. 
one of these Piney Point, the, the way this works with how Piney Point worked, they would pile up leavings from uh, mining in places. And there, there's a law in Florida where you can buy a piece of property and you can rent it out, so to speak, to a mining company and say, listen, you could just dump all your stuff on my property. And it's lucrative for the landowner and it's convenient for the company. But I'm not so sure, sure it's good for the state. And the reason is in 2016, I think, there was one of these Piney Point sites with hundreds of millions of water, gallons of water, all this radioactive dirt or whatever. Well, a sinkhole opened up underneath of it, and the whole thing fell into the aquifer. This was down in somewhere around Orlando. Um, and so you can see how this is just a horrible uh, disaster because now, you know, the You've got this really poisonous, toxic water and stuff in the drinking water. Just because we have this law that allows people to dump stuff just wherever, you know. And I think that those kinds of laws and things like that are are maybe a good place to start. Uh, You know, if we want Florida to be this outdoor paradise, which it is, it's unique, really, in so many ways. I mean, the Everglades and so on. There's so many things about Florida that are entirely unique to the state, if we want to maintain that, I think we have to stop thinking <laughs> in the short-term way about making money off mining and think more long-term about investing in the uh, environment. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we oftentimes don't think about the long-term consequences of some of these actions. Um, I remember the, the, the situation you were talking about. Also, something similar to that happened in Louisiana. Um several years ago when one of these large ponds and there was a salt dome underneath it they had been cleaning out, it suddenly collapsed and the whole thing just drained. Um, I don't think the situation with the sinkhole in Orlando ended up polluting the aquifer, the Florida aquifer, because there is a, a layer of rock between us and it. However, it did in fact impact what we call the surficial aquifer, and this is where most homeowners actually are pulling their water from. They don't have the deep, deep wells that need to go down hundreds, if not thousands of feet to get into the Florida aquifer, but they'll go down into the surficial aquifer 30, 40, 50 feet and pump water out. So the homes in those areas that were pulling water out of their wells had to go on bottled water and contaminated you know, because of the water contamination. But you're exactly right. Um, what's happening in Piney Point, and you're also... I think your number is low in terms of the number of potential sites around the state. I think it's far higher than 20. Um, but these are where— well, There's you, plenty of places that— Oh, yeah. And, and there are lots on the St. John's. You've got a, we've got a whole bunch of these toxic ponds down at uh, near Rice Creek in Palaka with uh, Georgia Pacific. And because we produce this wastewater that is nutrient-loaded with all kinds of other things in it, um, dioxins and other kinds of pollutants, and then we don't want to have it flow into the water, and so we try to trap it and treat it, and they use these retention ponds. And they build these earthen dams. Uh, they do line them. They've got a plastic liner in them. But as what happened in Piney Point, and this is not the first time, I think Eric was right, this is not the first time this has happened. It happens periodically. A lot of times during a storm, during a hurricane, you get a lot of water, a lot of rain. They start overflowing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of like when you build a sandcastle at the beach, and you get that little bit of water creeping through the, the dam, then suddenly it picks there up. There it goes. Speed and it breaches and it's there done. It breaches and it starts yeah. flowing. Yep. To regulators' credit, um, somebody caught this leak 
Uh, I've not been down there, but I've seen the videos uh, looking at it blowing out. And then they started pumping water out quickly. Well, where do you put this water? It's not treated because you've got this phosphate-laden water. Well, they dumped it into Tampa Bay. Well, and here my hat goes off to a bunch of, whole bunch of scientists because a lot of us rallied. Um, JU and UNF, for that matter, are part of something called the Florida Institute, Florida Institute of Oceanography, which is a combination of state and private organizations in the state that uh, we operate a couple of ships um, out of Tampa. They mobilized and have started doing sampling in that area to try to track what's happening. And we were talking about the blue-green algae and red tide and things like that. Again, Eric's right. This Centuries we've had this stuff, and we've known about it for a long time. What's happened is it's becoming more frequent and more intense than a natural phenomenon. And so we think that's because of the excess nutrients. We're upsetting that balance I was talking about a while ago. Mm. And so you start looking at what's happening and what a lot of us are afraid of, same thing I was talking about in the St. John's. Water's a little cool right now. It's not too bad. Well, what's going to happen when the water temperature gets up into that mid-80s? doesn't quite get so hot down in Tampa as it does here in some ways. But you get that water in that upper 80s. Yeah, 88, 89, yeah, and pushing now 90 sometimes. You've got lots of nutrients, excess nutrients in the water. Are we going to see a massive algae bloom? Well, okay, they say, so what? Well, that algae bloom during the day produces oxygen. At night, uses oxygen. And so you'll have fish kills. We've seen the thing in Indian River Lagoon this past year. We've had something like 700 manatees die. We think they're starving to death in some respects. Why? Because we've dumped so much nutrients into the Indian River Lagoon that it's killed off the submerged aquatic vegetation. There's mm-hmm. nothing for the animals to eat. Yeah. And they're starving to death. Crazy. And so it's, it's, a, it's an awkward situation. All right, let's take a break here on the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show and uh, more with Dr. Quentin White, Jacksonville University Marine Science Research Institute, right after this. Hog Dolan Cadillac, uh, if you haven't ridden in a Cadillac, boy, uh, you haven't ridden in one heck of a riding car. Go see uh, our good buddy. At Claude Nolan Cadillac, Mark Helmick, and uh, tell them the Outdoor Show sent you because they not only they have Cadillacs, but they've got a great used inventory to to choose from. Cadillacs uh, are to cars what Tesla is to rock and roll. <laughs> Quinn, you a big Tesla fan? Uh, not really. I don't think so. <laughs> don't um, even. Doc, you were rocking out over there. <laughs> don't even. Not me. Yeah. I'm not a big yeah. Tesla don't, fan. Don't either. even. Yeah. Uh, Kirk, not so much. Kirk yeah. can't hang. But so, Doc, so you're Quentin, all in uh, just real quick before we get back to the phone lines, because a lot of people have questions, and and thank you so much for sitting in here, because I mean, people love asking questions and love having the awareness uh, put out there. And here's a question: um, tagged manatees. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine, Bob, works for CNH Marine Construction, got and sent me some video of what looked like a manatee with a beer can attached to it. <laughs> when he first sent the video, it was kind of grainy, and I was like, what's that manatee doing drinking a beer? And he says, no, it looks like a, like a float or something yeah. like that. Don't what, drink what and is swim. That? Yeah, no, we, I shouldn't say we. The, this is actually a federal project. Um, tags manatees and tracks them, uh, and you can actually go on to, um, and I think it's called wildanimal.com, and 
see where the tags go, see what. So it's a way to, to see where the animals are and what's going on. They um, they put a sort of a collar around the peduncle, which is the back of the tail, and then there is um, a float that then the manatee basically pulls around. Doesn't seem to really affect the manatee very much. Um, they seem to adapt to it pretty good, even though some manatees are very very good at slipping out of their collar. Um, but uh, that that yeah, that's what's happening. That's what they've got. So it's not a beer can. It's a float. No, it's a, it's with got a radio beacon. beacon. Uh, you know, it's we're doing an awful lot of this tagging right now, which has been fantastic in terms of what's going on. So, you know, the manatees were done early on. Um, we you can now do it. With, we're doing it with great white sharks and O search does that. You can get the shark tracker and see that on your web mm-hmm. on your phone. Um, but we're also doing it, which is really cool with fish because they are actually embedding these little tags in the flesh of the fish, turning the fish loose, and then or up and down the Atlantic coast, and I, I guess it's worldwide in some respects, but I'm most familiar with it here in the, on the Atlantic, we have these acoustic buoys out, and they're listening. And what happens when the fish swims by, each fish sends out a separate signal. And so you can tell where the fish is and what's going on. So we're doing a much, much better job of tracking where fish are and what's going on. Interesting. Um, well, long-time fishermen may remember the old tags that were done, particularly in King Mackerel. You know, you put these little tags in the belly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they survive, sometimes they didn't. Um, but you'd catch the fish and you get the tag and you'd clean it off because it usually had algae all over it. And there'd be a name or address or something like that. Yeah, and then phone number or something. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd send it back to the state agency who had released it, and then they would tell you, how big the fish was. They'd send you an email back or a text letter back saying how big the fish was, where it was caught, and how long ago it was. That's right. And that was pretty cool. I know during the King Mackerel tournament, when we when I used to judge that, we were always excited when we got one of the tags in. Mm-hmm. And so we would say, you know. Find out exactly where it was caught where it was and where caught. it came from. And yeah, exactly. It was really exciting. And we've come so far. Uh, and I, I talk to my students right now about the technology and what we're doing today versus what we did when I started my career. It's going to be mind-boggling what they can do in 40 years. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I cannot, cannot even begin to imagine what is going to happen. Because, you know, how many of us would have thought 40 years ago we had cell phones? And yeah, we'd have a computer and, and a phone and, in, in the palm of our hand. Yeah, and instant information Yeah, yeah. For, for very complex questions. You Google it, and it'll answer it. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten away from Google. I've had to admit, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out though why people carry the phone around and want to video everything that they do and share it with everybody on the planet. Like because they're... they can. <laughs> because they can. It makes them feel important. Like, what are well, we, what are and, we doing here? Well, I mean, it is. It's changing society. It really, it really is. is. I mean, and sometimes is. I think it's not a good change. Oh, I, I, in some cases, I don't think it's a good change. Um, and I know that myself, and I hate to sort of admit it in some ways, but. I was giving a lecture one time, and I do this series, and I, for years I have and I'll call it a somewhat off-color joke that I sort of conclude with when I get done, I thought it was sort of funny. And I look up one day, and this kid is videotaping me. Uh-oh. I didn't do the joke. I don't yeah, blame I you. I didn't want to be on video yeah. with what was, because somebody come back and said, oh, that was really sexist. Yeah. Which it was, but um, you know, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> so. Well, okay, don't so am I the only one here about that, uh, We don't want to get you. Yeah, am I the only one that really wants to hear this? <laughs> no, you don't. I think no, we don't hear it. a lot of it. It takes the humanistic nature out of us that we all truly have. We're not perfect beings, you know. We 
And that, and that's one thing I worry about these stupid things. But anyway, we're getting All right, off well, real track. Real quick, here. let's let's get yeah. one in here before we got to take a break. Let's get Randy in uh, this morning. Uh, good morning, Randy. Morning, guys. Morning. Uh, always always interesting show with Doctor White. Phone. Uh, got a, got a couple plugs this morning. Uh Uh-oh. My wife's my wife's Claude Nolan Cadillac needed some tires, <laughs> so uh, I called Terry out at the beaches. Uh, he gave me the parameters. I a little outside of that, but uh. I started off the conversation with who I was and that I was an avid outdoor show listener. So that <laughs> that's the plug to your show. <laughs> yeah. Did it grease the palm? Did it grease the palm. Good. Yeah. Sweet. I'm a, I'm a little outside the parameters uh, for the mobile tire service, which is what I was interested in. So he, give me a minute. I'll call Danny. He called Danny, called me back in about 10 minutes, like he said he would. Said, uh, you know, Danny, I'll call you this afternoon or in the morning. Well, Five minutes later, my phone rang. It's Danny. <laughs> so uh, Danny said he'd take care of me, no problem. So uh, he set up an appointment for Tuesday, showed up on time, done a fantastic job, put the tires on, great conversation with Danny, uh, great service. So I appreciate Danny and Tire Outlet and also y'all for helping grease the palm. <laughs> Glad it worked out, Randy. And by the way, next time you talk to Danny, ask him if, you, if he can bring some of his mama's cooking. Yeah, just just you just want to know where that food truck is. Where is that barbecue food truck That's at? That's right. And and by the way, Randy, next time you call the show, uh, identify yourself as Randy the Name Dropper. <laughs> uh, that will work. All right, Chris. Thanks, Thank you, Randy. Randy. Appreciate that. All right, let's Great take. A, Thanks, guys. Thank you, Randy. All right, when we come back, uh, Tim, Dave, Sean, we're gonna try to get to everybody here. Doctor White's got the phone lines lit up. I mean, you're you're a popular man, Doctor Quentin White. Jacksonville University Marine Science Research Institute right here on the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show. Got a uh, pretty cool little uh, uh, piece of information from somebody on Facebook, Dr. White. Uh, We were talking about septic tanks. Their question was asked about putting a canal in it would go from black creek to doctor's inlet and, you know the septic tank issues that uh, exist all along different tributaries of the st john's river and other lakes and stuff and got this from uh, from george anthony says uh, say, hey i owned a lakefront house on lake geneva keystone heights when i went to get the septic tank pump i had to get the health department permit if it failed uh, one had to replace the entire system guess why so many never pumped their septic tanks and uh, he said also prior to the lake geneva house he purchased a lake house on crystal lake keystone heights it only had he said a 55 gallon drum for a septic tank which he upgraded it to meet the the county septic standards i mean that some of that stuff still exists oh yeah absolutely yeah which is crazy to think that uh, that that stuff still exists and so uh the issue that we have a lot of times when we sit there and we think okay fertilizer 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 we'll serve fertilizer septic there's a lot of things you put it all together and then then you kind of have an issue yeah and i suspect there's still some straight pipes from people's toilets straight into the river oh i guarantee it some of these houses along the river yeah well, a lot of it's economics. These people can't afford to barely keep the house, and they can't very well hook up the septic system to the city because it costs so much money. They can't afford it. Yeah. And that's well, part of the problem. It's a some dilemma. Cases, they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't have any idea. They, they've bought the house, and the, somebody said, yes, the septic tank. Okay. Good. Works. It. Toilet okay, flushes. Toilet flushes. It, yeah. It bubbles. It's only when they go along and put a dye tablet in the toilet, flush it, and then green dye bubbles off, off their the dock. Rivers, off <laughs> yeah. the river somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some stories years ago, 
city councilman. The city was doing it for some of the houses along Ortigo, and he discovered he had a straight pipe to the, to the river. And he didn't I had know no, it. I had no idea. No idea. Wow. Crazy. All right, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's bring up Tim this morning. Good morning, Tim. Hey, hey, good morning, guys. What a phenomenal show. I just uh, wanted to rhyme, remind all the listeners we're doing the Selfish Pot Party tonight at the Legion Hall on Atlantic Boulevard and Mayport Road there. Yeah, that goes all the way back to the old Jacksonville Offshore Fishing Club, the stuff we were talking about with all artificial reefs. What was that, 60 years? Right. Yes, sir. 61 years. Um, I know I've seen Quentin there a few times, and uh, we'd love to have him tonight. I mean, I, I, I've known Quentin for quite a while. He knows that I run the, the, the uh, fishing program for the Marine Science Center, and uh, he's, uh, he's a phenomenal guy to have on the show, I can tell you that. Yeah, Tim, I saw your name pop up on the computer screen here, and I said, oh, my gosh, we go way back. You've you got some dive stories offshore Jacksonville, too. Yeah, buddy. We did we did a few dives back 30 years ago together. and You know, see some of those barges full of, of uh, sea urchins. You know, there'd be <laughs> thousands of sea urchins on the barges, and there wouldn't be hardly any of them on the, on the ledges. But uh, it's just funny how all that kind of stuff works. Yeah, but, I, uh, yeah, you have it. Yeah, Go nobody – only the divers. I, I think I actually have a what we call longhorn – Bryozoan that I picked up when you and I were diving a barge one time, which is a it's a bryozoan yeah, growing did. on a um, hermit crab shell, and because the right. shell rolls around and the hermit crab rolls around, this thing grows and it gets elongated. It looks like a, a, a longhorn set of um, horns. Horns like yeah. cow horns. Wow. Right. I had that job. Right. I saw your name pop up. Yeah, we. They don't need to listen to us reminisce about the old days, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've been on a couple of the uh, sites when we've sunken some stuff, you know, the Powerful and the Anna and some of the other stuff that uh, you, you've been in, you know, helped out to make sure it was all done the right way. But, uh, but yeah, it's a phenomenal show, guys. And if you can get out to the pot party tonight, I'm going right now to pick up 15 bushels of oysters. From uh, down at Harry Price, and uh, wow, yeah. it's going nice. to be a good, going to be a good time. <laughs> Save the shells, we can make Save a reef shells, out of it, yeah. right? <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to recycle them and put them back in the uh, in the in the Why not? there. Yeah, down by the boat ramp. All right, but, thank uh, you, Tim, and I uh, hope everything goes off great tonight. And uh, good luck with the uh, with the selfish pot party. Okay, thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Tim. All right, see you. Uh, let's go talk to Dave. He's got an aquifer question. Good morning, Dave. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Good, thank you. Listen, man, love the show. Uh, I grew up on the west side over there, and uh, my dad had a boat. He kept at the, the old duck pond there off of uh, San Juan Avenue and Cedar Creek, and I can recall there was an old coat hanger factory or something out there that uh, used a bunch of acid to you know wash all the steel and stuff, and they would pump that directly into cedar creek and it wasn't you know unnormal to go down there and see all these fish floating around dead and uh it's wow. just incredible but yeah we'd go down to itchitoctony also and back in the day this 30 years ago you could snorkel itchitoctony and there wasn't a piece of grass anywhere it was just pure white bottom with white shell and everything and you go there now and you see a few patches of white rocks you know so i don't know what's going on there and you know i know grunto springs heart springs manatee springs pine landing all those are a whole lot different now but uh 
worked for the YMCA. We had a, a camp out there, Camp Immokalee, mm-hmm. and I think it's Lake Brooklyn, I think it is, and there was a little bridge that went over the, the lake, and I don't know what they did out there, but the homes that lived on the lake, you could look out there and just see pure sand. Their docks, you know, there was no water there anymore, and the docks were there, but it just was pure sand. The water was gone, but uh, there's a, uh, as far as the aquifer goes, there's a great video out there, and I don't know if y'all talked about it or not. It's called uh, Water's Journey. You can Google it. It's mm-hmm. called Water's Journey, mm-hmm. and it's a trip through the, the, the aquifer, the you know, the Florida aquifer, and uh, it's amazing where some of these uh, videos were taken. You can just see old tires and paint cans and everything that people have dumped over the years and what it, you know, how it has affected, you know, the aquifer and stuff. So I know it recovers well, but, uh, and I know some of that stuff is, you know, not going on anymore, but I know that long term, man, that had to have a, a huge effect on our aquifer. But uh, uh, listen, I love the show, and on a quick note, little little joke here, two old women live next door to each other, old Mabel and Ethel, and uh, they'd see each other every day. And one day, Mabel didn't come out for a couple of days. So uh, third day, Mabel comes out. And Ethel says, uh, Mabel, where you been? She goes, oh, I've been laid up in bed with that doggone arthritis. Ethel says, yeah, I know them. I know them Itis brothers. And that Arthur, he's something else. Y'all have a great day. <laughs> LTS, baby! <laughs> Sneak attack. Actually, uh, that's an excellent reference. Uh, Water's Journey was actually a series of videos done by Wes Stiles, who I mentioned a few minutes ago. Right. And um, one of them is a diver goes in the Florida aquifer and traces the water um, up the, the stream and into some outfalls and literally pokes his head out of a roadway in Orlando because you begin to understand the connection between that stream and going straight into the No kidding. The wow. Water. Wow. But then the, the one segment that's called, I think, the River Beneath Us, um, they dive into – um, the cavern system, and you see all these things underneath the water. It's fascinating. There is so, no way you're getting me to do that. I tell you what, I no have no do- way. I have dove some of these sinkholes and springs, and it is really quite fascinating. I mean, you get. I up, like watching on TV, but I'm not going to do it. No, you go way up in I there, do. and you go 100 feet down, and you look up, and you see seashells embedded in in the limestone in the aquifer and you're like wow mm-hmm. i mean it's i mean big seashells as big as your fish cockle shells that are you just going how old are those yeah, how long was that very old all right before yeah. we take a break let's real quick do a uh, kirby co builders cooking tip of the week uh, kirby co builders this is uh, industry leader improving provider framing drywall interior and exterior finishing on both commercial and residential products and the reason that uh we're doing this today is that i went to a restaurant local restaurant and uh, and it was kind of one of these uh, one of those foo foo restaurants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, as Gordon would say, kind of a chickified restaurant. Chickified. <laughs> so I'm looking on the chick-a-fied. menu. You know, and it's got salads. You know, Tara wants to go there. Tara's like, it's got salads and Can all. You make that up. Like, I'll have a salad. Like, so what am I gonna eat? Right. <laughs> Huh, where's the French fries? <laughs> uh, where's the sub? Where's the, where's the Frito potatoes? pie yeah. when you need it? Where's so, the ribs? Yeah. They have a, a sandwich. It's a chicken sandwich, and it had tomatoes and mayo and cheese and all that on it, and it, it was gluten-free bread and all I'm like, you know, that'll work. Yeah, there you go. And I take a bite <laughs> in this thing, and I was like, oh, my goodness. What is, is that? really good. Yeah. So I go, and I grab the menu, and I said, what did I just order? And because it had kind of a little bit of a vinegary taste, and I, I'm a big fan of vinegar. Oh, yeah. It had a pickled tomato. On nice. it, very nice. And so I was going, man. I said, I've had pickled onions on a sandwich before, and it made it so good. 
So, folks, if you want to make your own pickled tomatoes and pickled onions and make a sandwich turn into a rock star sandwich, whoa, this is a way to do it. And uh, got you got you some directions uh, from myfoodandfamily.com how to make quick pickled tomatoes to make your sandwich a rock star. And then throw some onions in there with it, and uh, your sandwich is going to be a little piece of heaven. That's your Kirby Co-Builders cooking tip of the week. Pickle your own tomatoes and onions. All right, uh, let's take a break here on the Nimnik Chevrolet Outdoor Show. Dr. Quentin White in studio, Captain Kirk Waltz, me, Jeff Logman, and you. And uh, we will try to squeeze in William and Sean, uh, the last two callers of the show, right after this here on 1010XL on 92.5 FM. Welcome back to the Nimnik Buick GMC Outdoor Show. Dr. Quentin White joining us in studio Jacksonville University Marine Science Research Institute. And uh, before we get back to the phone lines and some conversation real quick, let's just do a quick updated weather and a tides. And a weather forecast brought to you by the Bearded Pig. Best barbecue in Jacksonville, period. It's not even close. They've got beef ribs and they have uh, pork that's outstanding. But really, the, the true measure of barbecue is how you do brisket. And theirs is exceptional at the Bearded Pig. Two locations, one at the beach, one in San Marco. And the weather forecast, I'll uh, just give you the next couple of days. Today, northeast 15 to 20, uh, backing off to around 15 late in the afternoon. A little choppy on the intercoastal. Tomorrow, a little different, southeast 10 knots, seas 3 to 4, 7 seconds on the intervals, and then you're going to have a little chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon tomorrow. And then Monday, south winds 10 to 15, 3 to 4, and a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. That's uh, the weather report brought to you by the Beard Pig. And a Tides forecast brought to you by Angie Subs. And, yes, was there this week. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Ed. On Thursday, he uh, he got my belly filled up before the draft stuff, so that was awesome. Was able to sit down and have a Peruvian. French fries, the in-laws were able to sample it, too, as well. The best sub shop in Jacksonville, and it's not even close. Today's Tides, 1.05 p.m. is going to be your high tide. That's a 4.41 and then this evening, a low tide at 6.47 p.m. And, again, that's your tide support brought to you by Angie Subs. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Let's bring up Sean's got a question about a reef for Dr. Quentin White. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Dr. White, Sean Vestal. You, you call me Stacy's husband. <laughs> Stacy Vestal. That's right, my assistant at JU. Sean How you doing? Way, Sean and I also go way back. Um. I remember the Piney Point story, but here was what I was wanting to bring up, sir. Uh, first of all, let me say you're a rock star amongst the water treatment community, certainly. I say he's like the uh, Hank Williams of, uh, of of water treatment in, in northeast Florida. I, I view this area of the country, particularly Jacksonville, as entering a renaissance period here regarding the reefs. Um, we talk about uh, the business community and the fishing community. I, I feel it would be low-lying fruit here to have some type of a task force uh, that tries to generate financing uh, to get a group together to get some of the local business folks involved uh, to develop uh, some of these reefs that you guys were talking about. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I think you we, got, we could have the Nimnik Chevrolet Reef or the whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great so idea. Um, actually, the Jacksonville Waterways Commission is actually working on that a little bit, um, and there is a subcommittee that's working on artificial reefs. So I'd encourage well, people to come out to those meetings. Sec- 
nothing against the public sector folks because uh, I know they they have good intentions, but um, you know the minutia and and just you know bureaucrats and, and the the scorekeepers that that they inherently sometimes unfortunately are. The public sector, the private sector groups are going to be incentivized by an ROI on their investment. I mean, and if 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 what you said earlier about a million dollar investment showing ROI over a period of time, they would be very interested because with this new quarterback coming and the Stellars and the WWGs of the world, and I mean the construction companies, they are all they all have deep pockets. They they would see the value of this in, in terms of it being good exposure for them as an organization. And also being green and enhancing the sustainability amongst the community. So man, I like good. the way you talk. Man, hey, we, I'm talking about a jaguar reef. How about a welcome jaguar reef? How about a, hold how about on a, a welcome to Moe's reef? Yeah, okay, so I, serving I, breakfast I, in St. Augustine. Just a, just a quick you know, question. Somebody did, has to step up and lead it. That's all. Did Did we get a quarterback? Uh, I think we did. <laughs> yeah. Oh. He's okay. on the phone, Quint White. <laughs> no, no, not there. Even. You go. I'm not, go. I'm not going there. Thank you, Sean. We appreciate, appreciate the Sean. call. Great. I mean, I think that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. Like yeah, thank you, else, Sean. It, just, it takes leadership. Someone's got to step up and make yeah. it happen. That's a cool. Cool idea. All right, let's uh, let's get William in here. Uh, good morning, William. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good, thank uh, you. Got these, uh, stupid question of the day. Um, and and Jeff, by the way, my grandparents used to live right next door to you. Um, Anyway, I was at a Porpoise Point Point in, in Volano Beach last week. It was absolutely beautiful, and we went out there. Um, the tide was going out, and the current was just insane. So my, my question is, if, if you look at the high tide and then you look at the low tide, can you go, like, right in the middle and there's the current's, like, okay? Does it kind of, like, calm down? And if so, like, for how long? Would you say? Well, it's, well a great, it's a great question, but there's so many things that affect tide. That's right. The moon, the wind. Well, and last week was a full moon. Pink moon. Right. The right. big moon. Pink right. moon. Yep. Pink, big moon. Yeah. It was a pretty moon, too. Yeah. It. What's that, what happens is you actually get what we call an asynchronous flow because the, the current does not match the tide. And so what begins to happen is it's a differential. And so the higher the tide depending on where you are, then the greater the current. And then it reverses itself. But it actually takes a while for the reversal to happen. So it'll, right. it'll be high tide. The, the current will, will still be coming in. It'll still come in for a while while the tide is going down. And then it will slack. And then it'll go the other way. And I can't tell you how many arguments I've had with fishermen over, oh, the tides are always wrong. Well, they're not, they're not talking about the tides. They're about the currents. Yeah, currents, a little yep. different. different. Yeah, you things. corrected us quite quite a few times. Uh, <laughs> Dr. White, thank you so much. William, thank you for the question. Yep, no uh, problem. Thank you for sitting in with us for the entire show. Thank you for bringing breakfast. Uh, yeah, the information it, it was, is yeah, especially for that. Is always awesome. And uh, we gave him a, a Dr. White a little gift. And I also wanted to thank Anthony Green. He made some turkey calls for us. And it's uh, their Papa's Handmade Turkey Calls. They're and hopefully good. we can all get a turkey with these handmade calls that we they have. Thank great. you very much, Anthony, for the uh, for the turkey calls. We got it from a fellow parent on my daughter's softball team, and that's awesome. Very nice. Uh, but, again, thank you because there's so many topics, and it's, it's so important to really kind of have some vision in our, in our city and, and to have responsible vision. So thank you for providing that. My pleasure. Look forward to having you on again at some point. And thank you, as usual, to all of our sponsors, Stackham Storage, Handyman, Travis, a new one, Shark Coatings, Coastal Equipment, Hagen Coastal Outfitters, C&H Marine Construction, Kirby Co. Builders, Inc., Whalen Bay Marine, Steenhatchee River Club, Angie Sub, Strike Zone, Tire Outlet, Atlantic Coast Marine, 
Consignment Boat Sales, LV Hires, Inc., Claw Nolan Cadillac, Thick Pen Heating and Cooling, The Bearded Pig, Ring Power and a Cat Rental Store, and, of course, the Nimnick family of dealerships, both GMC, the Buick and GMC store on Phillips Highway and Chevrolet on Cassette. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week, same time, same place. See ya. See ya. So grab your gear and let's go. I got tra-